bottle so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. When an emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is, run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show and it's called Southern Sense and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Well, Point out the colors of you. Afternoon, and welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, and we are going to be up on WCET FM out of Columbia, South Carolina, starting next Friday. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the Radio Chickadee, Annie. And today we have no courtesy as Bennett. Instead, we have Florida Representative Mike Hill. Good afternoon, Mike, and thank you for stepping in. Absolutely, Annie. It's always a pleasure and a joy to be with you on the show. Uh, we've got so much to um, uh, talk about, so much to do, and we've got a lineup today that is absolutely outstanding. You know, I started off with having only three guests on today, and I ended up with an, only an hour ago knocking it up to five. I just totally cow people are knocking down the doors to come on the show. But that's a good thing for us. That's a very good thing for us. It is a good thing, Annie. It shows the popularity of your show and it also shows the reach of your show. So people want to get on so that uh, their message can be heard. Absolutely. Now, it looks like uh, there's a problem with Blog Talk Radio because I've got someone sending me a message uh, that they can't get into the show to listen and they can't get into the chat room. So I don't know. So we're just going to keep on plowing on. We're going to take it as it is today. So uh, just bear with us. Um, But we are up on Facebook as well as I believe we should be up on YouTube too. So we're up on the other markets on Spreaker also. So hopefully they can tap into those uh, feeds and find out what's going on. You know, I don't even know where to start today, Mike, because there is so much going on. Um, we Our guest today lineup, we're going to be starting off with Deontay Johnson. Uh, he's with Blacks for Trump, followed by, and I got a cat chewing on my microphone, <laughs> followed by John Paul Moran, who is running for the 6th Congressional District out of Massachusetts. And then we have Putnam, Florida uh, Commissioner Buddy Goodard, followed by candidate out of the 3rd Congressional District in New York, George Santos, and then following off with Heritage Foundation, Mike Gonzalez. Boy, there is just so much to do today. It is a busy lineup. It's a full lineup, but it sounds great, Annie. As always, you have some of the best guests on your show. (laughs) Well, we'll see what happens. (laughs) So hopefully, and actually, I've got my backup account, and yeah, the chat room is open, and it's working. Mm. So people are able to join us. Anyway, Mike, you know that, you know, we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And once again, we dedicate not just to one, but to two fallen heroes. And today's dedication is going to go out to Staff Sergeant Ian P. McLaughlin and Private First Class Miguel A. Villalon who died after their vehicle struck an improvised explosive device this year on January 11th while serving during Operation Freedom's Sentinel. And this is from the Daily Mail, and it reads, as I bring up the dedication window, just bear with me for a second. Here we go. It reads, 
The Pentagon has identified two U.S. service members killed by a roadside bomb in southern Afghanistan. Staff Sergeant Ian P. McLaughlin, 29, and Private First Class Miguel Villalon, 21, were both on their first combat deployments when their vehicle struck an improvised explosive device near the Kandahar province. The Taliban claimed responsibility for the attack, which left two other American soldiers injured while they were conducting operations as part of NATO's Resolute Support Mission. Both soldiers were assigned to the 307th Brigade Engineer Battalion, the 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division, out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. The soldiers' deaths were the first for U.S. forces in 2020. Staff Sergeant Ian P. McLaughlin and Miguel, Private First Class Miguel Villalon were killed instantly. McLaughlin and Villalon's brigade commander, Colonel Art Sellers, said in a statement that they lived by the Army Engineer motto, Essayons, which means let us try in French. When our nation called for its best airborne combat engineers to deploy into harm's way, Staff Sergeant McLaughlin and Private First Class Millalon answered without hesitation, Sellers said. They lived their motto and embodied the values of an all-American engineer. The loved ones are now surrounded by a caring community offering comfort and assistance through this difficult time, Sellers said. In a separate statement, Major General James Mignus, the 82nd Airborne Division commander, said McLaughlin and Villalon represent the very best of our nation and our army. Three-time volunteers, they went when our nation called and paid the ultimate sacrifice, Mignus said, referring to the soldiers' combined enlistments. They will be honored, mourned, but never forgotten and we are committed to taking care of their families for life. McLaughlin joined the Army in 2012, and his first assignment was as Horizontal Construction Engineer with the 62nd Engineer Battalion at Fort Hood, Texas. In 2016, McLaughlin was reassigned to the 82nd Airborne Division, where he rose to become a squad leader. He graduated from the Advanced Airborne School Jump Master course in 2018. McLaughlin's awards and decorations include the Purple Heart, the Bronze Star Medal, the Army Accommodation Medal with C device, the Army Achievement Medal with two oak leaf clusters, the Army Good Conduct Medal with one oak leaf cluster, and the Combat Action Badge and the Basic Parachutist Badge. He is survived by his wife and four children. Villanon joined the Army in 2018 and completed basic combat training and advanced individual training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri the following year. He served as a combat engineer for the 307th Airborne Engineer Battalion, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg. His awards and decorations include the Purple Heart, the Bronze Star Medal, the Army Achievement Medal with C device, the Army Accommodation Medal, the Army Good Conduct Medal, and the Combat Action Badge. The 21-year-old is survived by his mother, who lives in Chicago, and his father, 
who lives in Brownsville, Texas. Aurora Mayor Richard C. Irvin released a statement about Villanon's death after it was confirmed. Our prayers and condolences are with the Villanon family during this tragic time, Irvin said. Miguel was a young soldier with dreams for the future and desire to make a difference in the world today. Much like all of us who have left from our hometown of Aurora to serve our country, our goal is to do our job well and return to our family and friends. Sadly, Miguel made the ultimate sacrifice as he protected our freedom from the front lines. From the city of Aurora, Illinois, on their government website, tonight, the Aurora community warns the heartbreaking loss of Miguel Villan, 21. He was one of two U.S. service members who passed away today while serving in Afghanistan. The vehicle struck an improvised explosive device in Kandahar province. A former student at East Aurora High School, Miguel was proud to serve in the United States Army and protect his country. Our prayers and condolences are with the Villanon family during this tragic time, said Aurora Mayor Richard C. Irvin, a veteran of the United States Army. Miguel was a young soldier with dreams for the future and a desire to make a difference in the world today. Much like all of us who have left from our hometown of Aurora to serve our country, our goal is to do our job well and return to our family and friends. Sadly, Miguel made the ultimate sacrifice as he protected our freedom from the front lines. The City of Lights signs, much dimmer because of this loss, will stand with his family and provide support. Godspeed, young soldier. We thank Miguel for his courage and commitment and service. May he rest in peace. Today's show is dedicated to these two brave heroes, Staff Sergeant Ian P. McLaughlin and Private First Class Miguel L. Villanon. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women who serve as our, on the front lines from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, emergency services, or firefighters. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
just gave it to me They believe in the virtues I stand for My respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants to Southern Sense here live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, and, oops, I forgot to unmute my (laughs) co-host. And we are now actually live streaming on WCET-FM out of Columbia, South Carolina, after a little bit of a screw-up on the Blog Talk Radio end. I'm your nutso, whatso hostess with the least mostest today, <laughs> Annie the Radio Chickadee, along with my co-host, Florida uh, Representative Mike Hill, Mike Obug. This is, this is live radio. <laughs> you never know what to expect. Oh, man. Annie, you're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> I can actually walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. Holy cow. Anyway, uh, yeah, today they're, they're doing the first hour of the show. It's going to be up on WCETFM out of Columbia, South Carolina today. And officially next Friday, August 7th, full three hours. But letting people out there know we are moving the time from 3 to 6 p.m., to 1 to 4 p.m., which might be good for us because there's a lot of guests that I can't get because the closer you get to the 5 o'clock hour, you have other people, such as Fox News, stealing my guests from me. So <laughs> I, can, I can snatch them ahead of time and get the scoop before them. <laughs> oh, but Mike, I got to tell you, this is really funny. Um, I was talking to uh, the uh, assistant to one of our guests later on this afternoon, um, George Santos, who's running out of the New York 3rd Congressional District. And she actually Googled Southern Sense and my name. And do you know where where it popped up in the search? Believe it or not, Mike? What's that? 
She said that instead of coming up, instead of coming up for you know Southern Sense, you know my website, I came up under Fox Nation. Do you think I'm going to get a job offer? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, man. It doesn't hurt to ask. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm famous. I'm somebody. Anyway, um, on the more serious side, uh, two people this past week have passed away, people that I knew personally, and it really is a kick in the gut. Um, one of them was Lloyd Marcus, and people know him as a um, uh, as a uh, public speaker, as well as an entertainer, a uh, really fantastic gentleman. He did the Tea Party Express uh, bus tour uh, back in 2012 uh, prior to going into the 2016 elections. Lloyd Marcus was known as the unhyphenated American, and I was proud to know him and his wife, Mary. Um, when we threw our Tea Party rallies here, uh, Amy Kramer brought the Tea Party Express bus through here, and that's when I got to uh, meet a lot of people connected with the movement, and Lloyd was one of them. And the stage that my husband built for our rally was what he danced on. And it was funny because after he got off the stage, he goes, that was the best stage that I've ever danced on. <laughs> but uh, he passed away. Well, Annie, I, I had a very similar experience with Lloyd Marcus. I started the Northwest Florida Tea Party back in 2011. And the Tea Party Express came here to Pensacola, Florida, and that's when I met him at an event um, that we hosted at a local restaurant. Yeah, they were traveling with Andre Sheik King of the Rivoli's. Um, Victoria was with them. Um, oh, God, I'm trying to remember everyone that came down because they came through Beaufort, South Carolina, here twice. Um, and I was proud to call all these people friends. Um, I mean, it was a lot of fun working with them and keeping in contact with them over all these years. And unfortunately, at 72 years old, he he ended up with a pulmonary em, uh, embolism. And unfortunately, oh, by the my. time... Uh, EMS got to the scene. He had passed, but he's missed, missed very much. As a matter of fact, his wife put out a statement. On, I love this woman, Mary. And they have um, three grown kids. And this is what she wrote. She said, Hello, everyone. It's me, Mary, Lloyd's wife. With my sad, heavy, and deeply broken heart, Jesus suddenly came and reclaimed our Lloyd Marcus, the unhyphenated American. Loved by many all over the world with his warm smile, optimism, hearty exuberance, his wise written words in columns, songs, videos, artworks, and books, Lloyd Marcus is deeply missed. I'm going to try to do this without crying. His family and dear friends are stunned at the sheer quickness and the absoluteness of God's hand as he plucked from us to be with his beloved Lord and Savior in heaven above. As I continue my life without his all-encompassing human love of me, his adoring and steadfast... I'm sorry, I'm starting to lose it. And steadfast wife, I thank you all for your loving compassion. Patriots, I want you to know he loved each and every one of you, reading and responding to your letters of encouragement, question, and well wishes. He loved you all and spoke of and wrote about many of you. 
I and he have always thanked you for your gifts through the years in helping him spread the truth. Thinking you of you in advance for your heartfelt giving, I leave you with Lloyd's words. I am not African-American. I'm Lloyd Marcus American. God gained a soldier and an angel. Wow. Wow. That's a tough one, Mike. Wow. That is tough and such a shocker, Annie. Yeah. And I have to say, right after that, we get the, the news yesterday of Herman Cain. And if anyone's looking at the video on Blog Talk Radio, there's a picture of my husband and I when we met Herman Cain in person aboard the USS Yorktown up in Charleston. And he was such a pleasure to speak with. And I, I had a chance when he came to the South Carolina Tea Party uh, conventions to additionally reconnect with him. And uh, another great American hero we lost. Lloyd Marcus and Herman Cain. God bless you both. Amen. Amen. Well, okay. <laughs> now, um, you know, up in, uh, in Florida, Trump is now, Mike, uh, concentrating his campaign. He's doing an all-out campaign uh, events, in, and Mike Pence is going to be heading in your direction. He's going to be in uh, Clearwater Beach on August 5th uh, on a Faith and Freedom uh, tour. It's going to be highlighting the Trump administration's strong actions to protect the sanctity of life, religious freedom, and the American family. So it's called the Faith in America tour in Clearwater, Florida. And they, I think they may have possibility a few more tickets left. But, uh, guys, if you're in Florida, uh, go to uh, Trump.com, DonaldTrump.com, and see maybe if they still have some tickets, you may be able to get on board with that. Sounds like a grand opportunity, Annie. You know, and I love that thing that they are working on, um, faith and freedom, you know, the the, the sanctity of life and our First Amendment rights, which are just being trampled on by so many Democrat governors and and uh, 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 commissioners and mayors right now. And we've heard of the insanity out in California where um, the, the governor there has said that people can't even meet in homes for church services, uh, much less in their churches, but they can't even meet in homes. That is outrageous, and I understand Liberty Council has filed a lawsuit to stop that. Well, thank goodness we don't have that here in Florida. And with Vice President Mike Pence going on a tour to protect uh, the sanctity of life and our religious liberties, that is the exact message we need right now. Absolutely. You know, um, unfortunately, my church is closed because it's going through some major renovations, but they have been holding outdoor services. Well, I don't know if we're going to be able to have one on Sunday because we've got this now a hurricane. And I can't even pronounce, where the heck did they come up with these names for these hurricanes, Mike? <laughs> I was trying I to pronounce know. it. I can't, even, I can't even pronounce the name of this thing coming up here. But it's supposed to hit us on Sunday. So it's going to be hitting you probably Saturday night, making its way up to me 
few hours later. But, um, you know, it's bad enough we've got to have to deal with COVID and with the hurricanes. But then government turning around and shutting us down, it's, it's too much. And I'm glad that Trump and Mike Pence are, you know, supporting religious freedom. Yes, indeed. Well, thank goodness about that hurricane, Annie, is that it's not a very strong one right now. And hopefully it won't gain strength as it heads north. Um, the latest I heard is it's supposed to just kind of skirt along the Florida coast but not make landfall. But they're showing perhaps in North Carolina right now. But you never know. Prayer works wonders. And I've seen God move storms out of the way at the last minute. Absolutely. Matter of fact, excuse me, as soon as I get off the air, I'm going to have my husband make sure he can crank up both of our generators just to be on the safe side, which is why it's really important that people check out Patriot Foods. So go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash middle, and get your Patriot Foods so you've got a food supply. If power goes down, all you need is your barbecue grill to warm up some water and get yourself a healthy and and nutritious meal on your table how's that for a plug <laughs> well and that's important annie you No, know, i went through hurricane ivan here back in 2004 and of course we didn't have power for two weeks um, but one thing that did happen was that we met all our neighbors because everyone was grilling the meat that was in their freezer because it was going to go bad so we were all sharing meat throughout the neighborhood <laughs> uh, for a couple of days. But if they had had um, the supplies that you're talking about, uh, they wouldn't have had to worry at all. No. Matter of fact, because we are so prepared, um, what was it, uh, Michael, that big one that hit South Carolina? Um, we didn't have power for about five days. Uh, but because we had the generator and we had the fuel to keep the generators running, we had both our refrigerators going, our deep freeze going, our TV going, my internet was up, I had phone service, and we were feeding the neighbors because we were able to grill. So we had neighbors that wow. had no food. Plus, we were able to go out to people that had bugged out and left town. We checked on their houses, took pictures of the houses, and said, hey, listen, you're fine, or you had trees down, nothing big. And we were able to let them know that everything was fine and safe. You know, it, it, it really pays to be prepared to think ahead, think outside the box, which is why I'm, I'm urging everyone, if you don't have the capacity of the deep freeze or additional refrigerators, you don't have the generator and like that, get yourself a supply of the Patriot food. I mean, it's, it's low in sodium too, Mike, which is really good for me because I suffer from high blood pressure. Now that we got my mom living with us, we got to watch her blood pressure. Uh, so, yeah, it's important to get the right type of safe food that is stored for up to 25 years, and you don't have to worry about it. Anyway, that's my plug for the day. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, we're waiting for our next guest to uh, call, our first guest to call, and he should be calling in any moment. We're looking for a Deontay Johnson, who's with Blacks for Trump. And while I'm waiting for him, I'm just going to pull up some news articles. You know, I had mentioned about the um, the, the Pence rally that's going to be going on in Clearwater, Florida, August 5th. Go to DonaldTrump.com to check it out. But did you, by any chance, watch the funeral service and the eulogy given by former President Barack Hussein Obama at um, 
Oh, good Lord. Brain fart. Oh, good Lord. Uh, Is it Atlanta? Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the congressman passed away. Oh, man. Talk oh, about... oh uh, John Lewis. Thank you. John Lewis. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the gray hairs are getting me here. <laughs> yeah. Did you catch the, some of the stuff he spewed? You would think a former president would have a lot more class than he exhibited. I was, I was embarrassed. And, and then when you look at the vitriol that hit the Internet after Herman Cain passed away, you didn't see the, the right coming out and spewing hatred against Congressman Lewis. If anything, we touted his civil rights record and commending him for the courage he had. To, to fight for civil rights and to bring the liberties and freedoms we have. Um, but now you have Herman Cain, a man who went from rags to riches, who was a voice of empowerment for people of all walks of life. When he challenged someone about why he didn't get a job, is it because he's white you gave him the job? The supervisor came back and goes, no, because he has an MBA. So instead of Herman Cain filing a civil rights you know, complaint or anything, he went out and got himself an MBA and was able to a- obtain that job. But yet the hatred we heard a- against Herman Cain's passing compared to the respect that we gave to Congressman Lewis, it's night and day. Well, Annie, it's such a shame that we see that coming from the left so often, it's like their their moral factor, their moral abilities are, are just way down on, on the rungs of the ladder. They can't seem to climb to higher heights. Um, just because you disagree with someone on a political position doesn't mean you need to show that kind of hate. And it's actually disgusting because um, you have to remember uh, Herman Cain, you know, left a wife, and I'm not sure of any children, but he left a family behind. And they have to read that. That's just not right. Right. Well, Mike, we've got our guest in on the line. Let me bring on to the show. He is with Blacks for Trump, Deontay Johnson. Good afternoon, Deontay. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. How are you? All right. And I guess you picked up on the conversation we were having here uh, and the difference of the respect that we have given Congressman Lewis in his passing and what we're finding being hurled against Herman Cain, a a great man that I had the pleasure of meeting and and talking with. Yes, you know, um, Herman Cain was a great friend and um, a fellow advisory board member of the Black Voices for Trump. Um, he spoke so highly of the president and fought every day into the end of his life for President Trump and to make sure that President Trump will have a victory in November. And one of the great reasons, one of the great things that so many people said, we must honor his life, we must honor his life, and we must honor his life by making sure that we're continuing to fight this November um, to make sure that President Trump is reelected. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, President Trump, he, he really likes tweaking people. He, he takes that to the media and says, let me throw this out to the media and let me see just how riled up they get. Because he said, well, what if we postpone the election, knowing full well, according to the Constitution, 
only Congress can change the time and place of the election. The president has nothing to do with that. But did you you see how rabid they got? Oh, no, Trump is going to turn around and steal the election because he's going to postpone it, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I, I, I yeah, just And I don't laughing. think they understood that a postponing of the... I don't really understand that postponing the election does not stop the election. So, you know, if 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 he if he postpone election and win, he'll if he doesn't postpone it, he'll still win. I don't think they understand the logic to that. Um, but you know, that's just how the that's just how the left operates. They operate in that sense because they don't understand that, you know, voters are sick. They are sick and tired of being spoken for and spoken for as if they aren't someone who is you know, they don't have a mind of their own and that the democratic regime likes to speak and talk for voters. And so, you know, we have people all over this country who are, who are not, who will stand in line and go and vote and not feel any fear. They'll, have, they'll put their mask on like they asked for the mask to be on, and they'll go and vote. So this is the question that I have is that do you want, do you either want to push having masks or you want to say that it's dangerous for folks to go out even with a mask? You can't have it both ways. You've got to have it one way or another. You can't. Well, exactly. here, in, here in South Carolina, we had the primary back in June, and I went and physically mm-hmm. voted. I went out to the polling place. I mean, everything they had it was all in place. Everything was wiped down, and everyone had safe space. You know, it can be done. It is being done. But, you know, the panic. But yeah. there has to be the panic. So they caused the fear. They divide us, and that's how they conquer us. So I think this is going to be a ballot box revolution come November 3rd. Absolutely, absolutely. And they're going to really see that it it takes more than just exciting fear and voters, and it takes more than just causing tension in the country to steal an election. You actually have to do something. You actually have to talk about policy, and President Trump has done it every step of the way. We talk about what he's done with criminal justice reform. We talk about what he's done with Opportunity Zone. We talk about what he's done with HBCUs. Um, permanent funding for HBCUs. We even talk about the drug prices, what he's done with drug prices and how he's taken pretty much, and don't quote me on this term, on on this number, but it gives you the point. He's taking you pretty much from paying $300 to $35 for prescription drugs. And so he's really done a lot. And people don't understand that this president is for America. He's not for the rich interest groups. He's not for um, the unions. He's not for, you know, giving people handouts. He is for America and making sure that America is a great and that America moves forward. And under President Trump, what we've seen with uh, coronavirus, we're going to experience the greatest American comeback ever. The comeback is going to be greater. Um, and we're going to see, we've already started seeing the surge in jobs. We've already started seeing people recovering. And businesses and our economy beginning to uprise and we're going to see even more because i believe that if president trump could save us from what the mess and disaster that we had during the obama generation my god coronavirus doesn't even stand a chance up to that of course he can do that it's actually easier and it's true it's true now there was an article up on uh, trump train news <laughs> excuse me um if you hear me coughing, it is not COVID. I had myself tested uh, just a couple of days ago. Believe it or not, Deontay, that I'm one of those people that cannot wear the mask. 
because if I do, I end up with, in respiratory distress and I develop a cough. So wow. I was on the phone with the telemed visit with my doctor, got myself tested. So it's just that I'm recovering from a, a respiratory distress because of the masks. Um, but the, Oh, I understand. I definitely understand. So if you hear me, I, I apologize for the coughing, but it's clearing up. It's, it was a lot worse last week. Anyway, um, they're sowing so much fear that now President Obama, as well as Hillary Clinton, are going out in public sowing more, saying that there's going to be voter suppression, that Trump is not going to accept the results of the election. Um, well, <laughs> you know, you know, they said the same thing. They said the same thing in 2016. It's like Grand Groundhog Day. We're seeing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, they said, oh, Hillary Clinton is above President Trump in the polls. We've seen what happened with that. They said, you know, we saw, we, we've seen this movie before. It's like, it's, we're seeing, we've seen this before. Like, About, and, they're still, and the media is like, all they have to do is just take articles that they've published in 2016 and republish them because they're saying the same thing. Well, Deontay, I want to let you know that I have as my guest co-host today, Florida Congressman Mike Hill. Um, so I, I, he's probably sitting in the background right now quietly laughing his, his tushy off. But, you know, it, you're, we're seeing a repeat of this. Now, in 2016, I yeah. had some friends of mine, dear friends of mine, one of them has since passed away, uh, had never, ever voted. And these are two people in their 70s. And one of them served in the military. And I was absolutely shocked because I would listen to him every day complain about what was going on in the world. And I, I said, well, what are you doing about it? I t asked him one day. And he goes, what can I do? And I says, well, when was the last time you voted? And when he told me he had never voted, I was shocked. And then I saw him the day after election back in 2016. He and his wife proudly walked up to me and they said, this is the first time we have ever voted in our lives and we voted for Trump. Now, imagine that awesome. movement in awesome. 2016. Now, take it four years Well, and that's the forward. silent majority. That's the silent majority. These are the people who are sitting at home that are not expressing who they're supporting. They're sitting at home. They understand that President Trump has done a lot for America. They have their own individual stories. We just have, I mean, that's the thing, is that we as conservatives, we just have to tell the story. We do better when we tell the story. When we're telling the story of what President Trump has done for us, the everyday stories, because everyone has a story. Everyone has a story on why they support President Trump. There's so many stories, and there's so many people who are not vocal on that. And so the silent majority is a very large group they're a very large group and they're gonna and they're doing a lot and so that's why i'm so thankful for president trump and i'm so thankful for all that he's done and i know in november we're going to be celebrating i hope to come back on and tell and, and celebrate with you um at, in november the success that president trump has had oh you're you're welcome Keontae, to this is Florida. <laughs> go ahead mike Keontae, this is florida representative mike hill and as you mentioned, the story we need to tell of, about the good things that President Trump has done since he's been in office. In fact, he's done a phenomenal job uh, in all areas, including uh, economic and the financial area. And just recently, the Trump administration came out with a new rule that requires financial managers must maximize pension beneficiary returns. They may not yeah. imperil those returns, 
by investing on any other basis. Can you speak a little bit about that, of why that is so important to uh, all Americans, but in particular to black Americans? Well, you know, and I and I I, I, will, I would have to say that actually this is news to me, um, and it's just something that I you know I, I feel like every day I'm learning something that the president has done that I that just slips through the crack because he's doing so much stuff every day. Every day he's doing something. You know, people say he's alcoholic, but he's doing he's doing something every day. And so, but you know, um, I do know that um, you know we, we're talking about pensions, but we're also talking about you know, retirement in the black community is something that a lot of black people in the black community never gets to see. They never get to see that. They you know, never what get that particular that. rule does is it says that financial managers must work to uh, maximize their customers' benefits. And you would think yeah. that's what they would do anyway, but they don't. There are some financial managers who will not base their activity on pure profit, but on politicized environment, social, and governance goals. So in other words, if here's a leftist financial manager who believes in anthropogenic global warming, he is going to steer his uh, customers' investments away from things like oil and gas and into uh, other areas like uh, uh, windmills and, uh, and, and, and solar power. So, but the Trump administration came out with that rule, says you must do what is going to be best for the customer and maximize their, awesome. their pension benefits. Awesome. That is tremendous. That's that's, that's, it's going to help all Americans. And those are the stories like that is that what we have to get out. And and you would think that they'd already done they would be they would already be doing it, but you know the president is doing so many things in so many different areas that he is the president for America. He has put America first, and I don't care what anyone says about him. He has put America first. You know that's not just a logo. That's not just a saying. That is actually facts. You know. There's so much to say about that. But, you know, what the one thing I love about this election cycle, the more you bring crazy Uncle Joe out, the better it is for us. Yeah. Oh, I can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't even wait this stuff the debates. Up. When the debates happen, wait, just wait till the debates happen where he just where he's not going to have a team prepare him for his comebacks against Trump. And he just has to have it on the spot. Just wait. Let's just wait until that happens. Mm, yeah. I mean, the. We have seen the left go so rabid that it is absolutely stunning. Now, for example, what happened to Bill Barr in the congressional hearing the other day? Absolutely. I mean, he eviscerated them. Yeah. yeah. Deontay, you're a member of Project 21, and yeah. you're president of the Black Conservative Federation. Um, right. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, the Black Conservative Federation, we're an organization, uh, it's a millennial-ran organization where we are, our goal is to promote educational advancement, community involvement, 
and economic stability. We're going into the black community, providing a conservative presence into the black community. Right now, we're 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 ramping up our efforts to help support the president. Um, we're we're taking as much support as we can get. Um, anyone who wants to donate and get involved, we're putting people out in the field in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and even down in Florida and North Carolina to really amplify. Um, South Carolinas will amplify, you know, amplify the principles of this party and what the president has done and tell people that President Trump has been the champion for the black community. And so we're really we're really pushing forward with that. And uh, we're putting people out there and we are supporting so many uh, congressional candidates all over this country. And so, so like John James and Wesley Hunt. Um, and so we just act as a hub for the black community. And so um, anyone who's interested in getting involved, um, donating, they can visit us at blackgop.us. Again, that's blackgop.us um, and join the movement or become a supporter. Uh, we're always looking for support because um, that's what's going to help us make sure that we have boots on the ground. Um, and then also, we, um, you know, we're supporting uh, with Project 21 with the policy really focusing on the policy and making sure that people in the black community understands what the policy actually mean to them, taking policy and pretty much, um, re, you know, pretty much simplifying it for everyone can understand what that actually means. You know, you, you mentioned that you're coming um, here to South Carolina, you said? Yes, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, we're going to be doing some things in Florida. Uh, Pennsylvania is one of our most important states because we got to win Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin, Michigan. We're really getting to some of the target areas, really coming out with a team, knocking doors, making phone calls, and doing events just to help push out and make sure we get President Trump over that hump. Well, actually, I could use some of your help here in Beaufort County in South Carolina. So I, I, I think we should be talking over the weekend. Matter of fact, we're putting a together a rally for Black uh, Back Blue, um, working with several different groups here uh, to do a massive rally. Uh, so, yeah, I think we should talk. Yeah, please reach out. Um, and your, 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 your producers have my number. Um, please I'm reach the out. Producer. Good, I, I, <laughs> I'm the producer. Well, you have, you have my, you, you have my number and we're definitely, we can just let, I'll be happy to talk. Let's get things done. Let's make sure that we get the president reelected. Absolutely, because we have uh, the Gullah newspaper also that Lloyd Marcus used to always put a lot of um, editorials into, uh, get you connected with them and get some of your, like Lloyd was doing, the conservative message out to the Gullah Geechee community. Absolutely, absolutely. Any way that I can help, I am most willing to help. See, we make things happen on the show, right, Mike? That's right. Awesome. And you seem to have that way. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm a solutionist, and, I, and I'm willing to sit down with anyone that is willing to create solutions. <laughs> That's, well, as, as Mike knows, I have been uh, – we've had our um, Buford Tea Party here since 2009. Yeah, 2009, because it was a year later I started the radio show. So I've been consistent with my tea party, and we have our next meeting next month, which we're probably going to do uh, online. 
since we're still doing the distancing bit, but uh, I'm going to have to get you to come to one of our meetings. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Let me know anything. I love attending events. I love talking to people. I love spreading the good word. Yeah. Also, I'm on the executive committee for our county GOP, and it will be another way to get oh. it invigorated. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Awesome, we'll get stuff awesome, in the work awesome. because when yeah, we yes. do our Back the Blue rally, we're also going to do voter registration, too. Awesome. That's even that's even more important. Absolutely. There's a lot that we can do to help with this. Um, and we've got to be able to get Trump reelected because the alternative is extremely frightening. And now they're talking about mail-in voting, which is something that we're trying to get Governor yeah. McMaster's to not ah. allow. Uh, because here, the way they want to do it, there will be no verification of the signature. Now, a number of years ago... Uh, we had been going around trying to get someone uh, petitioned candidate onto a ballot. So we were actually got the voters list. And we went door to door, knocking on doors. You'd be amazed how many errors are on that voting list. And one of them happened to be a yeah. really dear friend of mine who restaurant we have our monthly meetings in. And I had no idea he moved until I saw his name on the list. I knocked on the door and I looked up and I said, you're not Japanese. Because <laughs> my friend is Japanese. I, I want to I I say this. I want to say this. I have, an, I have another. I have another interview that I gotta hop, get ready to hop on. But I want to say this: is don't let them. You know, I want to encourage everyone to make sure that they're going to the voting booth. Go to the voting booth. Do not let them make you mail in your ballots. Go to the voting booth. Vote early if you gotta vote early. Vote early. Because they will try, they are trying to play a game, and we are not going to play into their game. Yeah, and tell them to do the absentee voting, or get to the voting booth early. Yes. And um, if you Absolutely. are handicapped, most places have the ability to come out to the car with you with the machine. There's a little touchpad machine that they'll bring out to you. So I encourage everyone to do in-person voting, whether you do it absentee voting at the local headquarters or at your actual polling place um but that way we can challenge the mail-in vote because if you went in person and you signed you showed your voter id now explain how you have a mail-in ballot with my name on it absolutely absolutely so you know thank you for having me on and anytime i'm more than welcome to come on oh it's my pleasure my pleasure Deontay. i have your number i've written it down so i will be talking with you thank you and God bless for the hard work you do, sir. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, it, it, it is very important to make sure that we can verify our vote. Oh, I accidentally hit the <laughs> – he hung up and I accidentally hit you, Mike. Hang on a second. Just, I got your back. I got your back. Anyway. Okay. Um, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> but it is important that we end up having our votes verified. Now, here in South Carolina um, – this past year, they instituted these new machines, and it's a two-part system. I don't know if you have this in Florida, but you go to the, the touch screen machine, you make your vote, and after you do your vote, it prints the ballot out. It physically prints the ballot out. You take that ballot, you look at it to make sure each and everything that you punched is on that ballot. You then go to a second machine, which is a scanner, a reader. You then feed that ballot into there, and it's sealed. So you've got the electronic vote, but you've got the paper ballot to verify it. Hmm. 
seems like it added an extra step in there. Um, what we have here, at least in Escambia County, is you go to the voting precinct, they ask for your ID, we verify ID in Florida, at least in this part of Florida. You go down to Miami-Dade and Broward, no telling what they do down there. But here they ask for your driver's license. And not only that, they, they will look at the signature that they have on file to confirm that that's yours. And then they hand you a ballot. You take the ballot, you fill it in with a, um, a black magic marker, kind of, and then you take it over to the reader, you put it in, and it reads your, your ballot. So we don't do the electronic step first. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe your people should be talking to our people, see what it is. But I like the idea that you actually physically have it, you look at it, you make sure everything is correct on it, and then it's fed into the scanner where, it, where it's registered, and they have the actual paper ballot. But basically, you guys are doing the same thing. You verify that this is the choices you want, and then you have a paper backup. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm seeing that some people are having problems tuning into Blog Talk Radio. Some people are able to listen in, some not. If you can hear my voice, um, just go to my webpage, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle. That way you can go onto the Facebook page. Where you can catch the video, you can hear everything, and you can interact on the Facebook because I've got that chat up also over there. I apologize, but sometimes some of these things are out of our control. We were supposed to be broadcasting on WTEC-FM, and even he had a problem. He would get some of the voice and some not. And why is my phone going off? I don't know why my phone just went off. <laughs> Sorry about that. Live radio. Anything else we can screw up today, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, the, the world has gone nuts. The world has really gone nuts. Um, we had this one guy out in... Uh, Portland, he was a video journalist videotaping the protests that are going on, and one of the Black Lives Matter Antifa thugs or whatever stabs him in the back. Oh and my goodness! It, it's it's caught on video, and there's another guy videotaping the guy videoing, and he's screaming, "That guy stabbed him! That oh, grab him! Grab him!" Now, you would think. All right, a journalist, you think it was a white guy? No, it was a black guy that was stabbed. A black conservative was just doing the video of the protest, not sticking his nose into anyone's business, wasn't talking to anyone, just videotaping what was going on so he can put it up on his YouTube channel. And this thug just walks straight on up to him and stabs him in the back. This has gotten out of hand. And this is what happens when you try to defund the police and you don't let police do the job they're supposed to be doing. Annie, it is time for law enforcement to put a stop to this nonsense, to these radicals. I would contend that the person who stabbed this journalist, this black journalist, knew that he was conservative. And he stabbed him intentionally because he had previously seen some of his posts, some of his comments that had been made. This wasn't just a random stabbing. You know, these, these thugs, uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, they are well organized. 
And it's not just random chaos that is going on. These are people who are organized and they have been trained. And I would venture to say that the one who stabbed him knew who he was stabbing and he did it intentionally. Um, he, he, I hope he was caught and is uh, going to be uh, tried for attempted murder. We have to put an end to this nonsense. Well, it turns out the name of the journalist was Andrew Ducombe. He was 25 years old, and you are correct in saying that they knew who he was because they were doxing him. They sent out a message to their fellow protesters that he was going to be in the area. And the person that stabbed him has been identified, has been charged uh, with second-degree assault and unlawful use of a weapon. So, uh, yeah, they know who he was. Just as I suspected. As I say, these, these thugs, these gangsters are well organized. And, and as I say, they, they have even been trained on what to do. You can go to some of their, their websites and they'll tell them things like um, underneath all that black that they wear, make sure that they put a board along their forearms so that if the police come and going to strike them with their batons, then they'll be able to uh, block and protect themselves. So they they know what they're doing, and law enforcement needs to put it into this, uh, and I mean like right away. This is nonsense. Absolutely. Now, uh, let's bring on, (coughs) excuse me, uh, bring on our next guest, uh, running for the 3rd Congressional District out of the state of New York, my former home state. I'm glad to be out of it. Anyway, well, let's bring aboard John Paul Moran. Good afternoon, John Paul. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you're running in a district that I at one point had lived in because uh, I originally lived in Westbury. Um, I had lived in Farmingdale, uh, Brentwood, and we left when we had lived in Northport. And I understand you cover East Northport, not Northport. Well, I cover the um, so I cover the the the, uh, the North Shore of Boston. So it's it's all of a pretty much all of Essex County and part of Middlesex County. Well, thank you for running for office. And yeah, it's really funny. Um, sure, thank you, Annie. We 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 have this issue with identity politics, and the left loves to separate us. You're this type of American. You're that type of American. This type, that type. Um, but you're having a little problem getting the media to pay attention to you because you turned around to them and said, yes, I'm conservative, but I'm a gay conservative, and they don't want to talk to you. What is their problem? If they support the LBGT XYZ community, why would they not support you? Well, I am the worst of the worst uh, when it comes to being uh, you know, a, a, a openly gay man that's conservative and, and Catholic and uh, and. I break and destroy their narrative. They, they, they are, they're only in business. I'm convinced the only reason why the, the, the Democrats, I mean, the leftist Democrats today, now maybe not the JFK Democrats from decades ago, the only way, the way they operate is with identity politics. So it's kind of like mafiosa style. We're going we're gonna to help out you, you out, and you take, we take care of you, and you're going you're gonna to vote for us in the polls. And, and they believe they own the gay, the gay uh, you know, the LBGTQ community. And so since I say I have my own mind, I have my own brain, and I, by the way, love America, and I, I believe in free markets and capitalism. Uh, I'm the worst of the worst, so they don't want they they, they want to bury me. They don't I, want my my voice being heard. 
I have to apologize. I kept on saying New York, but you're at Massachusetts. I apologize. I have a gentleman coming on later on towards the end of the show who is New York third oh, district. So I, that's my apology. I'm just looking at my notes going, how the heck did I just do that? I wrote down Massachusetts, the that's sixth okay. district. Uh, and I lived in Massachusetts for a while, too. I lived in Waltham, worked uh, Waltham and Reading. <laughs> so oh, I apologize. Reading is my district. Reading is my district. So... There yeah. you go. You live in my district. <laughs> yeah, Reading, Wakefield. Yeah, I know the area. And living in Massachusetts and being conservative Good. is not something easy to do. Well, it's it's funny because um, it, it is the bluest state in the country. Um, it's also considered it's rated the most politically intolerant state in the country. So if you if you speak your mind uh, about being conservative, yeah, they they. Uh, they don't appreciate it, but I'm telling you, with with today's environment, I'm getting the vast majority of people I meet are are on my side, and and I think there's a really strong growing current of people that say, you know what, I'm proud of being an American. I believe in free markets. I believe in our country's history. I believe in civil rights, but the left is abusing civil rights. They're just owning people. They're using. Um, I'm convinced. You know, Black Lives Matter. The organization is, is nothing to do with black lives, and neither does the Democrats. They just want the votes. They should be called Black Votes Matter because all they care is the power they get from, from owning these populations. They don't give – they don't care 1% about gay people or black people. They care about power and using these people to stay in power, and that's, and that's more and more people are waking up to that. So um, I think we could potentially, if we can get the word out and do it right and get enough support and, and, and get people kind of out of the – get out, I say get out of the conservative closet. Now I'm saying get out of the American closet because you can't even say you're pro-American these days without people's, you know, the left's heads exploding, thinking you're some kind of uh, bigot or racist for saying you love America. It's, it's absolutely insane how far, how far left we've gone. You know, it's funny. I have a, a T-shirt, and the T-shirt says, never underestimate a retired police officer. And I wear it rather proudly. And I found that lately... Boy, I love it. Because of the animosity of defunding and you know, having civilians do the job of a police officer. As I walk around, um, I'm getting comments. <laughs> I had one little gray-haired woman, because I had to go for an x-ray yesterday at the hospital. As I'm walking out the front door of the hospital, she sticks her head out the window, I love your t-shirt! You know, I'm, going through, I'm walking around, and people, That's you great. hear them whispering around you that I had the audacity to wear it. But this is the problem. They want to intimidate you. They want to guilt trip yeah, you correct. into falling into their trap, which is exactly what the Black Lives Matter movement is. It's a Marxist movement. It is a trap. Because if you say, oh, no, black lives don't matter. No, that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is all lives don't matter. That one group of people is better than another. But didn't we fight a civil war? Didn't we have a civil rights movement to say all lives matter? That it's the content of character, not the color of the skin. And I've got with me, um, my guest co-host today is Florida State Representative Mike Hill. Um, but Mike, am I saying this wrong? Am I thinking the wrong way? No, you're, you're right on target, Annie. And it, it, it's it's a fact. And as as the candidate John Paul was saying, is that it is not what they uh, matter or care about uh, any particular group of their lives. It's their votes they want for the power. You, you are exactly right, um, John Paul. You are running for office right now. And what do you see as some of the most pressing issues for the state of Massachusetts and for our nation? 
Well, I, I, uh, I think that the, the, the big picture is this. Uh, ever since, not only since America, but since you know, hundreds and thousands of years before America, government, kings, right, monarchs, right, where they, food on your table and security, keeping you from being invaded and killed by, by, the, by the enemy, right, and, and, and making sure you can live and eat and keep your family safe and alive. And those two pillars, the Democrats have attacked. They've attacked the police because they, they thought, Mike, I'm convinced this was a very, very quick operation. They said, well, there's 43 million blacks. We're going to lose their vote if we don't get 80% plus in black votes. We don't, we don't win in November. There's less than a million cops. And, you know, let me, it, that's a very small number, and they're mostly conservative. So we're just going to create a war between, uh, you know, a, a black America and, and, and the police and, and go with Black Lives Matter because we can't lose the black vote. I think it was that fast of a decision, that dumb of a decision they went with. And now all that's happening in these places uh, is, uh, you know, around the country where they're defunding and pulling back and hamstringing police. You see minority communities, the ones being targeted, losing their businesses, losing their livelihoods and getting killed by the lawlessness. So everything they do is the opposite of helping blacks and, and brown and Americans. And it's the, uh, it really is the opposite. So I think security, going back to your question, security uh, is number one. So backing our police and our, you know, keeping their families safe at home, safe communities. That's a big message. I think will be a winning message for Republicans anywhere in the country. And then of course, economy and jobs. Um, that's, you know, with, with the shutdown, I mean, I think that's, I hate to say no brainer, but that we have to bring our, our economy back. And then the third thing up here is the thing that people are most up. We did a poll um, to, thousands, to thousands of people, independents and, and conservatives. And amongst those groups, um, it's, uh, it, it, it's corruption, term limits, corruption, and, and stopping the one-party state here is the thing that most people, that, that they're most concerned with. So I think, you know, government corruption that we see right now and uh, the economy and security, those are just the three pillars. Everything else matters, but not as much as those three. You know, what I'm finding, <laughs> what I'm finding also is what is being under attack is not only just our faith, our religion, but our free speech. So much so that um, Twitter and Facebook are deleting, are taking down thousands upon thousands of accounts that are giving a conservative message. Or if they're talking about uh, chloroquine being something that can help people with COVID, all of a sudden, no, that's that's fake news. That's a false story. Your your post is taken down. Your account is blocked until you kowtow to the way we feel you should be talking. I mean, I thought yeah, I, mean, I, I thought these were public platforms. Correct. And with the public platform, even if it was something that was fake, there's something called satire, and it still falls under free speech. Yes, yes. I uh, it 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 when when you look at when you look at the collusion of, of government and and uh, these these big tech companies, you know, I used to, I mean, I've always been for business, right? Big business for any kind of business. I'm a capitalist, free market um, promoter, but. Um, the, the, the biggest corporations, especially the tech companies that can control the population, are completely in bed with the far left because they both want control. They both want to be able to control, um, have power and control over us. And they've, they've colluded together clearly because you don't see any leftists. They could, they could be as violent as they want. And you can have um, Black Lives Matter supporters saying the most vile things. In fact, there's a woman named Rayla Campbell in my district challenging a black um, conservative woman challenging Anna Presley, one of the four squad crazy, uh, crazy people. And uh, she said the most vile things in a 30 minute rant. I can't repeat what she said because it was disgusting and vile and, and, and violent and no problem. The left will keep that up all day long. But if you, if you say 
you know, if you say anything that's that's too conservative, they'll they'll rip you down. So it, it is really just power and control. They've colluded together, and it really is. I, I'm positioning it's not Ameri- it's not Democrats versus Republicans, or even necessarily the, the traditional left versus the traditional right. It's Americans. It's free. It's free Americans versus the radical tyrannical left. That's what it is. That's what this. That's what we're in the battle of. And and and, and if we don't win. And they win, it's game over. I don't think we can recover. I don't know what there will be left after they take the Congress and they take the filibuster away. They pack the Supreme Court. That's exactly almost step for step what happened in Venezuela. And almost using the exact same words um, so that, that they used when, they, when, when, when Chavez took over. He was talking about social justice almost, almost word for word 20 years ago. And now look where they're at. So we're going to be in Venezuela uh, times a million if we don't if we let these crazy people take over. They don't care about the country. So that's that's my position on it. I don't know what um, Brad, what you think, or uh, but that's that it, it, it. It really is America versus these vile, creepy, um, you know, authoritarian, uh, socialist dictators versus you know. We have to win. We cannot let them win this battle because there we. It, 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 that, that's how I see it. So I call myself not just a Republican. I'm just an, I'm an American. <laughs> I'm an American against the radical uh, left that wants to take us down. Well, as my friend who passed away, Lloyd Marcus, would always say, he's the unhyphenated American. And I love that phrase, that we should all think of unhyphenated. What happened to the melting pot that we're supposed to be? Instead, they divide us with this Correct. multiculturalism and make us think that, oh, no, you have to be tolerant. Uh, but uh, excuse me, I didn't move to their country. They moved to mine. So if they want to live here, then they have to abide by the laws and our social mores that we have. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got a cat getting into trouble. I apologize. <laughs> I've got a terrorist Al-Qaeda cat. Um, anyway, uh, but uh, if I wanted to live under their culture, then I would go to their country. But they're coming to us. So here's something that I noticed was missing off of your platform, where people can find at johnpaulmoran.com to help support your campaign for Massachusetts District 6. I didn't see anything in dealing with immigration and how you would feel with sanctuary cities and states. Um, where is your stance with immigration, especially with DACA now? Oh, well, I have I do have a bold point. I have I have a list and, and I, I talk about uh, securing our borders and, and, and banning sanctuary cities. So 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 it is in there. I just um, I didn't see it. I uh, apologize. I, I'm yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for secure borders. I'm all for eliminating. I, I call sanctuary cities seditious cities. I'm all about branding and marketing. The left is good at it. The right tends not to be. So I try to use smarter words and I like to call them seditious cities because that's what they are. It's sedition against the federal government. and It's illegal. So, um, but yeah, it, it, there's nothing good about that. And, and I mean, in the big picture here, both parties used to be against illegal immigration. It's only when the Democrats, and I'm convinced that the Democrats realize that smart Americans are not buying into their garbage, their crazy socialist radical garbage. So they have to import votes because smart, regular, hardworking people don't want what the, the, the poison they're selling. Um, and that's another reason why they're becoming so violent and crazy and intimidating and browbeating because you know, how, how many people in, you know, in Chicago and New York 100 years ago in the 20s were for getting browbeaten and paying you know, 20 percent to the mafia? Well, they didn't have a choice because they were they were threatened and intimidated into it. And we're, we're kind of getting the same thing where they, they say, well, we can't win an election. 
regular smart, sane, working Americans would never vote in this garbage, this, this radical garbage. So we have to browbeat them because now that we have, they own every one of our institutions, which they worked on for decades. I wrote a book about it four years ago called Cues for Conservatives, uh, challenging Saul Alinsky's crazy rules for radicals. And uh, they've been, that's their plan because they can't win on the merits of their ideas. That's why they have to shut down free speech. That's why they have to control everything. That's why they have to intimidate. It really is, it really is along the same lines of the communist, uh, the communist Chinese with their cultural revolution. Or when you see radical Islam, they get into a country, they start getting violent and they take over. Or you look at, you look at the, 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 the Nazis only were about 10% of the population in Nazi Germany, but their brown shirts effectively scared and shut everyone down with violence and intimidation. And, and the left is using those same tactics. I mean, how people can't see that is crazy. If we, people knew what we know, people, nobody, we, 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 we'd win every election by 90%. <laughs> we could get regular Americans to see what they're doing. And it's really along those lines. It's, it's, they don't have, they're not selling something that anybody wants. So they have to use force and intimidation because the, in, the, in the world of ideas, they lose. They, they think that that makes sense. That's the reason why they're shutting us down. And you don't you see a one one direction on that. Well, yeah, Mike, you had pointed out that there is a growing silent uh, majority. Uh, people are afraid to openly say what they're feeling and thinking, but they're watching the violence that is going on around us and the destruction. Now, if you watch the Bill Barr testimony, Nadler, no matter how much they tried to prove to him that there was violence going on in Seattle and Portland and in New York and all these other major Chicago Democratic uh, strongholds, Nadler goes, no, these are peaceful protests. And now, Mike, we've got the U.N. trying to tell us that these are peaceful protests. You can't send the federal troops against them. What the heck? We have to listen to what the U.N. tells us and how to quell the violence in our own nation? Do they do that to uh, the uh, Chinese with the Uyghurs or down in Venezuela? Do they do that anywhere else in the world? But no. We're going to sit and take it, Mike? Uh, absolutely not. You make a great point, Annie, because look what we see going on in Nigeria right now, where the Muslim population is uh, killing the Christian population. It's been going on for a number of years now. And they haven't, there haven't been any calls to stop that violence or to send in U.N. troops to try and quell that. No, it, it's, it's, what they are looking at is America is the last place that is standing in their way of gaining absolute power. So as John Paul said, here on the left in America— we need to stand up to their desire for this power, but it's more than just our borders. It's worldwide. Canada, Australia, no other nation can do what we are doing, the United States, and that is stopping them from getting their absolute power. And John Paul, you made such a great point of how this uh, division that we have, it's either with uh, keeping America or going to the radical left, and it's almost a cliche now, but it's a battle for the soul of this nation, and losing is not an option, because if we lose, then America goes down. Yes, I agree 100%, and, and, and we, we, are at, we are at this point where it's an inflection point, and, and your average everyday American does not know that, but that, and that's another reason why these distractions, the, the continued shutdowns, which I 
I'm a scientist by, you know, I'm a marketing, I have a marketing agency, but I used to work at MIT as a scientist. And I, I have a science-minded you know, brain, and I'm looking at all this. And you look at countries around the world that are sending their kids to school without a problem, that have the same, as far as I know, there are human beings in Europe and in China. I, I think they're the same species, and yet they're not, they're dealing with things. And we have so much data showing that we can be opening schools and we can be smart with how we carefully open businesses. But the left wants to keep things shut down because they want a constant state of chaos and fear because your average voter, they're counting on saying, we need a change. Stop the pain. Stop the pain. Stop the pain. I'll do anything you, you tell me. Stop the pain. It's kind of like a beaten uh, spouse syndrome where, you know, the, 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 the abuser keeps beating somebody and the, 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 the victim starts saying, I, I deserve to be beaten. I'll do whatever you tell me um, because, because I just stop the pain. And, they, and that, that what they're counting on is you want the pain to be so extreme that, they, that the population says, stop the pain, we'll vote for the other guy and vote for the other party. And what they're not seeing is the pain is not being caused by the right, it's being caused by the left, hoping people will be dumb enough to do that. So it really is, I mean, I hate to use the word evil because you have to be careful. You'll see, you can see, like, you know, you start throwing around good and evil that people think you're a crazy person, right, in politics. But it, what else do you call it when they're willing to sacrifice and have, knowing that, um, people, especially the people they're trying to protect, the minority uh, black and brown people that they keep talking about in their Black Lives Matter, they're the ones being targeted and killed far more than anybody else with this whole, you know, yank the police to pull the police. I believe that I saw a poll that 70 percent of black Americans want more police, not less. <laughs> Yet they just don't care. They're just pushing their narrative and they want to take control. Um, and that's it. They want power and control at all costs. And people need to see that the, the, the right wants freedom and liberty, which means the opposite. We want to give the people power and control. I'm here serving on the bottom. I feel more like a waiter running around serving people. That's the way I see myself when I get into Congress. I'm like, can I help you? What, what would you, was your steak done? Was your steak done right? You know, that's the way I see myself. Not be some big controlitarian weirdo that like these leftists that are in power. You know, it's, they have it backwards. It's America. We're here to serve the people. We're not here to control the people. And I and and, and it's really the opposite. They really are almost opposite, you know, when, it, when you look at American values versus what the left's after. So we have to stop them. We have to expose them. And I will also say um, I was in the gay closet. That was terrible. I came out. I uh, was, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, and then I came out of the conservative closet in a sense because I had to tell my, my the gay world, I, you know, about 10 years ago that I was for Romney at the time and I was a Republican. And, man, I lost at least half my friends and I got attacked viciously and I was threatened. And now I feel like I got to get out of the damn American closet because now... <laughs> Now, if you get out of that closet, they're, they will. They're, now it's like serious threat. So, being being quiet doesn't work. You know, we only have gay rights because we we didn't stay quiet. We came out of the so-called closet. You know, Americans can't be silent. Uh, we need the unsilent majority. We need the loud majority. If we're silent, it'll be like Nazi Germany. The silent people sat, sat by, and the Nazis took over with maybe ten percent of the population. So I, I I'm convinced. I'm like, get out of that American closet and be proud and. Wear your colors and say what you think and, 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 and do it. Because if you lose your job, that's better than losing your country. Well, I got to tell you, my I'm front sorry, license plate. It's bad, but it's, it's more bad to lose your country. My, my front license plate says, proud to be an American. And I got a flag that flies out of the back, uh, back window. Great. So you cannot miss my car going down the street <laughs> and throw in my great. police T-shirt. Great, great, great. We need <laughs> Everybody needs to do that. Everybody needs to do that. We can't be hiding. We can't be intimidated by these creepy leftists. There's not many of them, but they're controlling everything. 
You know, it's, they're really not a big number of them, but they're controlling everything. When you think about it, I think a couple thousand people are causing the problems in Portland, 2,000, 3,000. Out of a city of what, 300,000? It's like less than 1%. But they're controlling everything. So we have to remember that. We have to stand up to these people. Well, you talk about, you know, civil rights for all, and you talk about these child regendering, this new gender dysphoria. And I am reading a very interesting book on an author who did a, a massive study on this one. And 10 years ago, you didn't see girls go for the gender dysphoria, to have the transgender and start to do the procedures, the hormones, the surgeries. The vast majority, 90%, were men that had this. It wasn't seen in women. But suddenly now, in the last 10 years, we see clusters. It's, you see groups of girls that are friends with each other, and all of a sudden this whole group decides that they no longer want to be girls they want to become boys. Uh, if you think back a number of years, and Mike, you probably will remember this, there was this fad with girls where they would end up pregnant while in junior high or high school. And they go through these fads, whether it's anorexia or something else like that. But this is one of the most dangerous fads that we have ever seen. Now, we know scientifically that the human brain is not sexually fully developed until the age of 27. And yet they, you see kids as young as elementary school being regendered. This, to me, this is child abuse. It goes beyond child abuse because it's permanent. Once you go through those surgical procedures, you can't reverse it. So it, it and, and then we have places like California where they are outlawing uh, counseling these young people who have the gender dysphoria to help them uh, work their way through this. That's what they're calling child abuse. It, they flipped everything upside down. John? Yes, it's, it's, I, I agree. And I, and I, and I tell you, um, it, it's, uh, it's another reason why I, I mean, I, I, in fact, I will say I don't like the term. I can't stand LBGTQ and all the other letters that go beyond it because by, by, that is the definition of identity politics, giving you your own darn victim code. And you know what? You know, one of the letters is asexual. So, so far, I've yet to see somebody walk down the street and get, you know, attacked because, hey, you're not having enough sex, right? I mean, really, like the victim code thing is out of control. And then, you, then they're trying to jam in all of these things that have nothing to do with gay rights. Um, transing children is almost the opposite because now when a kid might be a little bit effeminate or a girl might be a little bit masculine, that used to be called the tomboy, right? Now it's all of a sudden they're going to go genetically change, you know, pump the kid full of drugs, make them 10 times more likely of committing suicide, make them sterile. I mean, it's evil what they're doing with, with children. And most of my gay friends and even I even have some trans friends that say, wait till the kid grows up. I mean, most of my, I don't really know hardly really anybody that's for child regendering. It's a psychotic left that's after that. So they're jamming that as part of their mission. So the a funny story is that this uh, human rights campaign, you've heard of HRC before, I, I bet. You, you must know about them. They're the, they say they're the leading civil rights group for LBGTQs. Um, but they, have no, they don't care about gay rights at all. They, they're pushing their radical left agenda. And why do I have to be attached to that? I mean, I, because I'm gay, I have to be attached to some radical child regendering stuff. That has nothing to do with it. So I don't like the fact that they jam all these letters together and say we're all fighting together for the same mission because I've, I'm not interested in child regenerating. I think it's, it's child abuse. Um, 
So they're damaging. They're really hurting the gay rights cause. So I, I don't like using the acronym. I like using NTL, non-traditional lifestyle. That's mm-hmm. it. There's traditional from biblical times and every other world religion in history believes in the man and the woman and the family unit. And for the most part, right. And that's, 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 I believe in that, you know, uh, I'm glad I wrote, I was, I was raised in a, uh, in a Christian nuclear family. Uh, but I'm also for if people want to, if a gay couple wants to have kids and get together, I'm all for that. Uh, but that's non-traditional. Just call it non-traditional. Don't give people a victim code. Don't mash them all together and, and don't throw pedophilia and, and, and children, child regendering all in there together because that's not, those things are just not uh, part of the mission. They're not nothing. There's nothing to do. There's no, there's no correlation. Does that make sense? Oh, but no, the left it, makes you think there is. It does make sense because I've had this debate with some friends of mine who happen to have been gay. And they, after I explained my point of view, something that the Supreme Court got completely wrong is that every single state has what is called a domestic union. It is when two individuals decide to become a family unit and they go down to their local municipality, they take out a license to recognize that domestic union. Once you call it not a domestic union, but a marriage, you now step over the line of religion. In order to have a marriage, you then go to a religious institution and you request to have that domestic union recognized within that temple, church, mosque, or whatever it is. You make that step from a domestic union to a marriage, you now have government defining religion, which is in violation of the First Amendment. And that's how I explain it to people. Great. So if, if you want to see that domestic union, whether it's a same-sex couple or you and your puppy dog, you just make sure your state and municipality recognize it. If they don't, then go to a state or municipality that does recognize it. You're allowed to vote with your feet. But don't tell me how to live my lifestyle. I'm not telling you. Don't tell me. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I've always been a proponent of, of, of you know, civil, civil, uh, legal civil rights for same-sex couples is, is, is very different than the religious term of marriage. I wish that government never used the term marriage, as you said, because it complicates everything. Um, but now it is what it is. They, they use the word marriage as a, as a civil term. Uh, in government. And uh, honestly, in my feeling is, you know, with everything happening today, I, I just feel like, you know, that's, that's a very bottom burner issue. I think, especially, I mean, in, in, in a sense, at least, at least in new England here, I think it's already, that's that, you know, it, it's already been approved and things have moved forward. But as a Christian and as a Catholic, I would never get married. I'll say that right now. I would never get married in the Catholic church. I would never ask to get married because it's against my religion. Just like you, there's certain, certain, you could be a nun, if you're a female, you can be a priest. If you're a male, we don't. Two thousand year year old religion that, by the way, definitively is the the, the source of Western civilization. Right, the, the, the first pope and the first church really was the beginning of Western civilization and carried it through. Thank God for two thousand years. Whatever you think of Catholics, um, so don't don't be telling the two thousand year old institution that kind of really preserved, protected, and, and built and created Western civilization that it has to change its ways because of some left-wing radical uh, ideas. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, so the gay people or LBGTQ should not be demanding that churches uh, do what they want. As long as you have your, your civil rights and government, that's fine. And, and again, most people I talk to, the vast majority are fine with that, both evangelical Christians on the right and, and, and many by most leftist friends agree with that. So there should be no argument over this. <laughs> well, it's not I, that complicated. You know? I'm going to step right smack into the do- dog pile 
because I had this debate with my state senator, and finally he understood what I, where I was coming from. There's been this push to reignite the Equality Act. And if you read the Equality Act, as it is written, it asks to have it recognized by your sex. What was when the Equality Act first came out in the late sixties, early seventies, you know, sex was understood as a man or a woman. Today, sex has a completely different definition. And I said, you can get the Equality Act passed, take out the word sex, put in the word gender. And it, gender is male or female. Whether you transition or not, yep. you're either one or the other. And even though biologically a thousand years from now they dig up your bones, you do their DNA, and you're going to have your birth gender. I tell them that, and as right. I explain it to them, a pedophilia is a sex. It's sex. Um, necrophilia is sex. So if you pass this Equality Act, you are then legalizing what we feel is illegal and abhorrent. Where is your stand on the Equality Act? Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm totally against it uh, for the same reasons. I mean, I, I'm for, I mean, I could say that the, the Supreme Court passed a, a ruling a few weeks ago, which, which said that, which was a complicated ruling, and I see both sides of the story, but, you know, they, that said you, can't, you basically can't be fired from your job because of your being gay, and they also threw in the gender uh, terminology in that. It's not is near to me that that was a, that was a balanced decision. It was there's pros and cons to it, but as a gay man, the reality is in fifty percent, fifty half the states in this country, you could be fired for being gay. You actually could be, and there's no protection. It doesn't happen very much, I'm sure, but it, it does happen. You you can totally you you have the, the states have the legal right. So, you know, the Civil Rights Act was passed, and every you know, there was equality for between races as of 1964, but. It was only about a few weeks ago that gays actually had technically rights, you know, a right not to be fired federally, right? But this is going a way, 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 way further than that. This is just it is so comp, it is so terrible the way it's written that you're right. I mean, you'd be if, if you you could change your gender or your sex every ten minutes, there'd be no such thing as boys and girls locker rooms anymore. And it really is a feminization. It's not. It doesn't protect mas- boys and masculinity. It, it really it, 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 it's all about feminization. Um, at the same time, which is, is just a one-sided uh, take. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm against it. I mean, I could talk about it longer, but I'm, I'm against that completely. I think there's some elements I like, but they, they went way too far with it, and it's, I, I don't support it at all. Absolutely. Now, imagine that you are elected to Congress. Because you talk about reducing regulations and agencies and everything, and once government forms an agency, it never goes away. But Trump has been nipping at it a little bit. Which agencies? Sure. Give me the top two that you think you would like to see abolished. Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the Department of Education is has done more harm than good with Common Core and everything else. I mean, I think the if anything, Department of Education should be limited to just basically giving some guidance or something. I, I think the Department of Education that should be handled at the state and local level. Um, I don't know what, I mean, that's, that's one. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know that the larger agencies, I mean, of course, I mean, Richard Nixon created the EPA, right? There was good, there was good, a good basis for the EPA, but again, it's turned into a left-wing radical uh, uh, organization that, you know, Trump has tamed, but again, it's, 
You look at the Green New Deal. I mean, is the EPA going to have the power to enforce the Green New Deal if that goes through? I mean, I'm, there's 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 so many agencies that are that are horrifically terrible, um, and there's many small agencies that that just get. I, I've heard I have a friend in Washington that's pushing for uh, you know um, uh, the uh, restraining the the, the 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 fourth column of government with with amendment um, to uh, to restrain to make sure that a much a much smaller percentage of laws and regulations are passed through the, the non-elected branch. And that that should be happening. So, yeah, there's there's many that I like to see gone. But I'd probably start with the Department of Education. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of heat for that from the left. But. Uh, John Paul, I think the Department of Education is a great one, and I would add to the list HUD, Housing and Urban oh, Development. How can I forget? Yeah, HUD is just trying to re, re is trying to put make the misery in in, in, in inside uh, <laughs> from left Democrat run hellholes. And, and bring and spread that around the country, right? I mean, in the sense right. of what they want to do with ending, uh, you know, ending single single family zoning and all the stuff that they they want to spread their misery everywhere, thanks to their <laughs> terrible policies. Yeah, I, I love this. You know, the the subsidized housing. New York City tried it with the housing projects, and it was a massive failure. But they still keep it up. It is a massive and having chased bad guys up and down 18 floors in those housing projects. Eight fun, guys. Um, anyway, uh, we were talking about education, and one of the things you talk about is making colleges more affordable. Now, you did the same thing I did. I worked three jobs to put myself through college. I did not take out any loans. Uh, you did the very same thing. You took personal responsibility for your tuition, your books, and everything else. With these kids today, yeah. it's so easy for them to apply for a government-backed loan and then walk away from it. Now they want the government to take over the loans because now they find themselves $100,000, $200,000 in debt that they could never have afforded to begin with. Um, maybe they should sure. have gone to a community college rather than to an Ivy League school. You can still get the degree. But you know, now they're asking us to take on their debt. And what people don't even realize is the more government puts funding for these loans and grants into these colleges and other money tied to government regulations, the higher the tuition gets. If government just simply stepped away from the higher education, say no more loans, no more grants, you're going to have to get it through your students' tuition, you're going to have to get it through the alumni and fundraisers, where our hands are gone, back off. We could lower the cost of tuition and make college affordable for those that want to attend. Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I agree. I, I actually have two ideas on that. I, I agree, and I, I, you look at from the '70s when they started doing these guaranteed student loans. That's when the problem started, because you know it's just it's it's common sense. You let an organization, you, you let the universities charge as much as they want, and they all compete. So if they start creating, you know. Um, Climbing walls and floating rivers, and, and and you know Marriott, you know high-end Marriott-style hotel rooms for, for the kids to live in, and, and and gourmet food and all the other garbage they they, they throw at them, then they they're just going to take all they can, and, and they're going to give their professors more money. Um, you know, you're first sure you're walking to a Marxist institution. I think something like 98 percent of college professors now are, are are on the left. It's it's basically conservatives are an extinct species. So they're they're bigoted and they have no. Um, I call it bigotry, and when they talk about diversity. I would insist, that's another thing, I would insist that universities have about a 50-50 split of, of educators that are conservative and liberal. Because you talk about skin color diversity, that's literally skin deep, right? 
I, I would say no, no federal funding whatsoever unless you go back to having political diversity, number one. That's one thing. And, and, and when it comes to the – you look back to the 70s when they started this, this loan business, you're, you're giving them a basically unlimited budget. The more you charge, the, the government will still – will just start guaranteeing higher and higher loans. And that's why it went from you know ten thousand dollars in today's dollars, which what it should cost for college. Now it's like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand. So it's it's really because of government. Government guaranteeing the loans is the main, that one of the main culprits uh, of all this. Now they want to fix it by having the government take money out of all of our pockets to pay for students' educations to mostly get brainwashed to become leftist, um, anarchist, uh, you know, Antifa rioters, <laughs> right? And on top of all that, so it's just a, it's a it's a cycle that has to be stopped. It can only be stopped if we pull government out of it. I, I agree. Maybe a minimal loan, like twenty five hundred dollars or something like that, or five thousand or a, a modest amount, but not these big loans and and, and uh, these these colleges if they charge that much. Another thing I'd say is they need to they they should have a rating just like every other business anywhere you go. When you sit buy buy a house or a car, I'm in real estate. You sit you go to buy a house. You have lots of disclosures. Why not make the colleges give disclosures? This is the degree. This is the uh, this is what you're paying for, and this is the track record, and this is how much people made, and this is the jobs they got. And if after a few years you're not getting the you know you, you students are not getting good paying jobs, um, market economy jobs, then uh, then the government pulls the plug and says we will not fund these ma- majors because these majors are these are uh, these these are not market driven, and we will not support them because the kids can't support themselves when they get out. So all of these leftist studies would dry up. All the all of these you know uh, these uh, these, these uh, justice warrior <laughs> type of uh, degrees that w- would go away. The liberal studies, and we get back to critically math and science, the, the, the STEM studies. And I'm an engineer by training at MIT, and we need STEM studies. We're doing, doing terrible in those areas. So on top of everything else, we're not only we're spending all this money. They want free education, so they be- become leftist anarchists. And they're not even getting degrees that are useful, and we're, we're falling behind all the rest of the, the, the first world countries in math and science. So you put it all together, it's just a complete gar- an S show, if I were to say it. <laughs> I can't say it on the radio, but, you know, it's completely a cluster blank, right? And, yes. And it needs to be fixed. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm from New Jersey originally. I live in Boston, and I have to watch them. I'm very good at it, but I, you get the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> John Paul, this is Representative Mike Hill from Florida, and I agree with a lot of the things you were just saying, but I would go even further. I think government should not be funding colleges and universities at all, period. Correct. And when you get government out of the way, that would force these colleges and universities to reduce their tuition so that it is affordable, otherwise they couldn't keep their doors open. And then we have those universities like Harvard and Notre Dame and Yale and some of the others who have these alumni associations who have these foundations with tens of millions of dollars in them. So you have that kind of money, why on earth is the government also paying for your school? Yes, yes. So to be clear, I, I agree with you, and Prince, I agree with you. The only the only thing I'd say is I, my big my big motto is opportunity for all and capital A L L. And I believe everybody should have the same chance. You start the starting line of a race, and you want to have the same starting line. And so if you have people that are you know that are that come from 
I wouldn't say white privilege. I don't believe, you know, that whole, but if you, you know, you, there are people that are privileged that have come from families that have money that have no problem writing checks for college. And you have, you know, kids that they were born in the wrong zip code and can't afford, then, then maybe a loan program based upon income, a loan program, not free money. I mean, a loan program, but not based on fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year stuff. I mean, it would be, there has to be a way to dial that back to reality. Um, I'm just talking about people that don't have the, don't have families that could that can pay for them. Um, there's got to be a way that they can get loans or something to, to compete with, with with people that do have money. I don't I don't want to see a, a zip code thing be the reason why you get an education or not. But that's the only thing I would be for. Everything else, you know, no funding um, and no unlimited loans. No, uh, you know, no no dollars to these universities that that are billions. Harvard, MIT have billions of dollars, and uh, and they only make more and more money. No one's stopping them because the left. What do you think about it, the left? They produce the leftist anarchist, you know, socialists that become Democrats because they're brainwashed. It's a brainwashing school. So, of course, the Democrats don't want to stop that because that's where they get all their their followers from. Well, going we, to school and then becoming brainwashed. It takes about ten years to get de-brainwashed after four years or so of, of the so-called education. Well, we can also still do it under the free market by encouraging lending institutions to have tuition assistant programs where the, tu- the yeah, students can that would take be preferable, out for and then. Sure. And to offset those probably at-risk loans, you encourage the bank say, listen, if you do these tuition assistance programs, we will give you a tax credit or a tax break. So you're encouraging the institutions to make the loans, and then that way everyone has what you call the financial even playing field. So there are ways that the free market can step in. And there are also, I'm sure, ways that we can get charities or grant programs to help them. Because there's the Pell Grant, which I applied for and couldn't get. Um, There are other programs out there where you don't need to have a government-backed loan. The government should not be lending money to these students. They should not be giving money to these institutions. It should be falling under the full free market economy. And if the institution fails, then it's their fault. They failed. Not the fact that, you know... I, I think some of these institutions are being propped up by the government. And they should be able to fail on their own, not on my tax dollar. But I um, wanted to – we're talking about government handouts. We're going to take it a step further um, because I had at one point – my mom had a, a property over here, and we rented it out. And there was some a couple living there. They were on – these entitlement programs where they were getting assistance for their food, <laughs> excuse me, for their rent. They were getting uh, 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 welfare, uh, social security disability. And these were two individuals that were perfectly able to work. Uh, and there's a problem we have. The government is, is, has these entitlement programs, and they're not going out to the people that truly need them. They're being abused, and it's a massive abuse we see. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, there, there's, there's so much waste and so much abuse uh, from these, these programs. It's, it's horrific. I mean, obviously, there are people. I know people with, you know, disabled, you know, family members, and there's people that really need it. And those people are struggling to survive because, of these, because, because there's so much other waste and fraud happening. Um, but but take it a little bit further. I I believe that you know philosophically, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Is I'm actually thinking of you know kind of positioning it like you know Black Lives Matter, the the George Floyd thing. We all know that that was a ruse, that 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 had happened. But the whole movement 
was they were waiting for the trigger. They were just waiting. They were springing. They were ready to spring into action as soon as they got a video in their hand that would fit their narrative. And they used that to push their Marxist agenda and also keep the black vote, and keep black votes matter, as I call it, right? Um, but if you look back, you look at LBJ, he said, we're going to have uh, black Americans, he said a very derogatory term, um, voting for us for the next 200 years. He was probably one of the most absolutely blatantly racist presidents. And he, uh, he signed the Civil Rights Act after JFK died. He said out of respect for JFK. And then they went forward to this massive welfare program, knowing that it would keep um, poor people, especially especially black, black Americans in, in, in the inner cities, um, under, the, under, the, under the whip of the government, under sort of, sort of a, a new form of plantation, and also ripped the father out of the home. The father, black families have twice the, the fatherless home rates as white families, and there's a direct, 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 provable correlation between fatherless homes and, 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 and coming from, wel- from, from, from generations of welfare to crime, um, and everything else that's happening to the, to the numbers of not just four or five times, but I think 20 times higher rates of domestic abuse and, and with, with people that come from fatherless homes. So there's a direct correlation of that. And uh, it's all because of the Democrats, because they made this de- deal with the devil that we're going to we're going to accept uh, civil rights, even though they were mostly racist. The Democrats far, far more than the, than the Republicans throughout history. And they made that switch just to get the black vote. And they've done it. And I think this is 60 years later is the price we're paying for their bad decisions. And, and I, I believe that, you know, if people that care about black lives, black lives matter and then the income gap and wealth gap that does exist, education gap, it's all from Democrat policies and, and liberal progressive policies. So they need to turn their, their anger and their wrath 180 degrees around and, and fire it on <laughs> and unload on the, the culprit, which is the progressive policies like these, these, these generations of welfare because of these, these handouts that just make people dependent on government. That's kind of my philosophy. I'd love to hear what you guys think. I think that they, they open the can of worms, and I think we can turn the tables and say, yes, there is a disparity, but it's not police. Police are reacting to the problem. The problem happens way earlier than that, and that's because of progressive policies. Well, you know, on the Black Lives Matter website, they tell you that they want to break up the family unit. They want to get rid Correct. of yeah. religion. They, they tell you right then and there exactly what they stand for. And it, it it is definitely yep. not for a nation of laws and equality. It is definitely the opposite around. Uh, so we've got to wake up and smell the coffee here. But part of my thought was is that would you tie to something like welfare and stuff like that um, a means test, like welfare to work, like some states have tried to put into place? I believe, was it Massachusetts or Maine? that had it very successfully, and then it got pulled? I believe it, 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 it's not here now. So if it was here before, <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. it and, but I, I, I do agree 100%. It's got to be mean. There, there needs to be, um, uh, especially since this, you know, people on Generation Welfare, it's, it's really not their fault. If you're given free stuff from the government, you're going to become dependent on government. It's like giving, it's like drug pushers. You know, it's like, yeah, the, the, the addict is, is a problem, but the drug pusher is the bigger problem. And the government is like the drug pusher. And so, you know, it, it, to, to undo the damage, we, the first step is, yes, means testing to get people off welfare. And they're not going to, you know, no one wants to get free stuff yanked away. But then as soon as they're back up, on, they're on their feet and they're independent and they're, they're better off for it. You know, that, that's the only way to close the wealth gap and this, this whole racial disparity thing they're talking about constantly in the news. It, it, it's not a bunch of um, white Christian uh, 
KKK conservatives in robes that are saying, you know, I'm a, ra- I'm a racist, so we're causing the problem. We're, they're not the problem. The police aren't the problem. It's progressive policies. And that was, that's the first step in the, in the process to unraveling and stopping it is, is, is the mean testing for welfare. I agree 100%. All right. That, now, we need to do that across the, across the board. Now, Lynn Cheney, who puts herself forward as a conservative, um, has a leading sponsor in a bill that's currently passing through, H.R. 6395, which deals with the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. Now, you are a huge proponent you know, of supporting veterans and the military. However, on this one bill, Dan McKnight, who is an Afghan war combat vet, found this on page 343. Um, it has in there a red flag gun law provision that would strip U.S. military veterans of their constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms in the event they are treated for a mental illness. Now, how many of our vets are coming back with traumatic brain injury, PTSD, uh, homelessness? So they've tried this once before, and now they're still trying it again. Yes, yes. Um, I think it's horrific, and I, I've heard it. I know about that, and that, that cannot happen. I mean, again, it's, it's everything that everything the left can do. They'll, they'll have it's, – it's, it's actually, you know – it's vile. It's contemptuous because they'll, they'll have our men and women in uniform go out to the most dangerous places in the world, protect our freedoms. I mean, protect our freedoms. Hopefully there's freedom to protect if Democrats get in because there's not going to be I don't know how much freedom there's going to be left to protect. God forbid. Right. Another reason why I have to stop them. But how disgusting is it? They know they know that these, these veterans are coming back and they probably I'm, I'm, I'm sure, it's, you know, if somebody has severe condition that, that that can be dealt with on a, in a different level there's already laws in place right if, if, if you have a serious if, if you're if, if if a medical professional thinks you're a, a threat to yourself or your family or others then there's already processes in place for that we don't need a law that says if there's any um anything like that they they, they will they will have they will be able to yank their guns and i believe it's again i think it's a leftist idea because they know that many military people are very pro-american they they fight to protect the constitution and they don't want those people coming back with guns saying, I want to fight to protect, protect the Constitution. Because when the left takes over, guess what they're going to do with the Constitution? Tossing right? out the I window. Mean, so I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of very dark, shadowy reasons they're doing that. And that has to be stopped. Yeah, because they tried it in the past. And once they did it to the veterans, they then went for the senior citizens. So if they had one yeah. military veteran, senior citizen also, well, he was using bill pay. And because he wasn't actively sitting down every month and writing each and every check, he was allowing bill pay to take care of it for him. They said, well, you're not in control of yourself and your finances, so you've got a problem and you can't have a gun. So we've seen this over and over again. They start with the veterans, and if they succeed, then they go for the senior citizen. If they succeed with the senior citizen, as you said, with Nazi Germany, they go for first the veterans, the elderly, and then everyone else. And they're trying this over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's that. They really, there really is. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the reality is this: that people, human nature, and these leftists that think that they have this kind of uh, this this uh, this high level, they've advanced and they know what's better for us, and they throw all kinds of platitudes about social justice. That's all garbage. 
it's it, the, the people are just the same as they were five, you know, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, even a thousand years ago. If there's power and wealth and control that will take it. And the left has gone to the root of every, there's no law that matters. Um, as the ends justify the means, the Saul Alinsky and every other, every other leftist has, has you know, pr- promotes. And that's what makes it hard for conservatives to fight back because we don't believe the ends justify the means as, as a moral as our moral compass, but the left believes that. So they'll say anything and do anything. And, and, and yanking guns is what the Nazis did. It's what every tyrant in history has done. And uh, we'd all be a bunch of sitting ducks. And, uh, you know, military people have come back. And they can't fight. The, if they, they'll, they'll lose their right to the first, the, the Second Amendment. They won't have arms. And the, the left, you know, they, they don't care about, they don't, they don't care about anything with power and control. I mean, I'm convinced of it. I mean, not to say that every single Democrat is like that. Not to say there's never been a Republican that isn't obsessed with power and control, obviously. But the way the parties are now, the left's modus operandi and their, their mission is to control at all costs. So we can't let that happen. Well, I know we have you only for a few more minutes, and people can find out more about your campaign by going to johnpaulmoran.com, your name. You're running for Massachusetts uh, District Number 6 congressional seat. Let's say that now that yes. you are Congressman Moran and you get to Congress. Would you push for an open investigation against George Soros and his Open Society Foundation for creating the, the uh, discord that we have across this nation with Occupy Wall Street, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and Lord knows how many other treasonous organizations he has poured his money into? Yes, George Soros and other bad players. I mean, George Soros is, is the kingpin, right? But there's other bad players, other 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 nations that are getting involved. And and this is the way I see it. It's, it we're in a new environment. The, the, the new um, information world, the new, new technology we have. We have this integrated world where it, it's very different than it was, you know, just even 10, 20 years ago. And this is the new war. This is the war we're facing. It's actual war. It's just right now it's not bullets flying and not, you know, Abrams tanks rolling down streets. But it, it, it effectively is the same thing. What, what they're doing in our cities, what they're doing with our trying to overthrow us um, by co-opting the Democrat Party the way they have, it's it's uh, it's got to be it's got to be addressed. As in, you know, looking at what they what they try to do, which I, I consider what they try to do, pre- President Trump a coup. It's an open coup. Um, I don't know how many how many how many between Russian collusion and the, the impeachment investigation, one thing after another, and now now all of this. It, with, with, with the uh, with the cities burning and, and attacking even in Washington D.C., this is open warfare against our country, and we need to be treating it like that. I think, and so yeah, George Soros for sure, number one. Um, but I think all these other organizations that are attached to George Soros have to be. I'm all for freedom and freedom of assembly, but if you're if you're organizing to overthrow the United States government, uh, which basically the the Democrats are basically in, in league with at this point, they have to be confronted and stopped because it's, it's, if not, there won't be an America left. To, yeah. to fight for if we don't stop them now. Absolutely. I completely so, agree. Yeah. I, I would love to going, see him I, and, I, and his son, very Alex, and very loud. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I agree. Yep. Yeah. You know, I agree 100%. What we see is, you know, as Jerry Nadler cannot seem to recognize the violence that's going on, it's like, oh, no, the peaceful protest. And then we had the U.N. saying, you can't go after these people that are torching your cities. They're peaceful protests. So we're, we see the instigation, and then we see those that – I'm trying to think of the proper word. Mike, uh, help me out here. Um, uh, oh, geez. Why can't I think of the right word? Those that instigate and those that support and propagate 
the violence. Because you have yeah. in, in Congress, um, there is a congresswoman, and I'm trying to get her name, Nadria Arze, that was watching a video clip of a federal officer hit in the face directly by a projectile from the rioters. And she puts up on Twitter that she watched the feed for 15 minutes straight. And it's a short feed. It's just a few seconds long. She said she watched it for 15 minutes straight laughing at it. Now, you have a member of Congress, a sitting member of Congress, watching a federal officer being assaulted, and she thinks it's funny. And this is what we're facing now. Yeah, it it, it, it really is. It, it, it is. It is us, it is Americans versus the radical left. And I'm, I'm convinced that, that we can win this if we can reach people and get them out of, I'll say, get out of the American closet. It's not, it sounds funny, but it's serious. Don't be silent in the face of this evil because that, that they, they, they will destroy us from our institutions, our, our faith. They're going after every color of our society. This is Saul Linsky, you know, Rules for Radicals on steroids. It's all, it's all been played. They've been working on this for decades, and this is their moment. They say this, this is their moment to take over. And, and, and take, take America. We look at we're the richest, biggest, most successful nation in the country. Of course, everybody wants to control it. And the Democrats, it's, it's, I consider it's an inside job. Think about it. The Democrat Party now is an inside job. We have one political party that wants to take down our own country. I don't even know how there's not laws stopping that. I just can't understand how people can be running for office and blatantly saying we're going to go push for socialism like AOC and, uh, and, and my own um, Seth Moulton here I'm running against, his, his radical... Uh, he just said yes a few days ago. It was just came out yesterday. I just replied. I just did a press release on it. He said that the, the, the red states are going to get what's coming to them. We, that we deserve to get COVID. He's reveling in, in the sickness and death of, of, of Republicans. He he hates half our country, just like every other radical does. He literally hates. We want to see death and destruction upon half the United States citizens. That no one should be allowed to be in office if that's the way they think. I can't believe that we actually are in this situation. So, yes, I consider it's like a mo- it's like an inside job. They've been co-opted by the radical left, and we have to pull it out. And we have to stop it. And, uh, you know, I don't know how else we can. We have to win in November, and then we have to make sure somehow or other. I don't know how to approach it, but the Democrat Party shouldn't be allowed to be infiltrated and, and, and actually want open openly talk about subverting our constitutional rights and, you know, and, and uh, just taking down our statues and our history and, you know, rip, ripping guns out of our hands and sh- shutting up free speech. It's, it really has to have to be stopped. So I'm convinced we can win if we stand up and stand up to them. Well, John Paul, I'm going to have to leave now, and I apologize for that. Um, I wish you all the best in your election that's coming up. And would you again you um, much, tell? Thank you. Would you again tell the audience how they can um, get in touch with you, how they can be a part of your campaign, and even contribute? Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And again, it's, it's John Paul, like the, like, like I say, my, my, I have a big painting in my house. John Paul, like the second, uh, that helped stop communism, unlike some of the Catholics today. <laughs> John Paul Moran, M O R E N dot com. And uh, if you can, you can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up to donate. We need to raise um, a significant amount of money to catch up with Seth Moulton, who ran for president last year. I think just to really line his pockets for this race coming up. So we have a fundraising gap um, so we can use people's help and their prayers. Um, I am openly Catholic as well. I'm openly gay, but I'm openly Catholic. Please pray for me if you can't help me in any other way. But, uh, you know, donations, volunteering, and any other thing, thing, 
please spread the word around the uh, you know around the country because I believe my message of opportunity for all is a very positive message for the party as well. Well, John Paul, if you back to, to keep the country, if you want to hang out with us, and uh, Mike did have a prior commitment, if you want to hang out until my next guest comes on, I'd be happy to have you do that. Give you even more coverage if you would like. Sure, happy happy to. All right, because I'm looking at my notes, and I haven't gone through all of them yet, uh, but there has been a call for monopoly busting uh, because you have groups, a, a company like Amazon that corners the market. Uh, you have Google and Twitter that there is no competition against. So there are calls now to institute that, I believe it was 1875 law that they used uh, to break up the monopolies that John Astra had to do the same now today. Do you think that is something that we should be looking into doing and maybe taking back our free speech? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I put it this way, you know, free markets work well in our, in our country because we do have, you know, the, the, the scary, regulations, you know, if you say the word regulation, you know, you, 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 some conservatives will say that's, that's, that's always bad, but I, I don't agree because what, what happens is, over time, companies become more and more powerful, and just like government can become more and more powerful and take, take your freedoms and rights, we see that with companies because it's the same human instinct, power, wealth, and control, no matter whether it's government or business. And when businesses get too much power, wealth, and control, and they start squashing competition, and there's really only one game in town like there is in Twitter, like there is in Facebook, no one, nobody could start up a company and say, I want to be the next Facebook. They'd never be able to do it. No one could ever say, well, companies have tried but they're, they're, it's very, it's nearly impossible to, to, uh, to, to become, it would be impossible to become the next sweater. So they, they control the platforms they're on, and they need to be treated, uh, they, we need to break them up. We need to do something. I, I think that's the last resort. I think we, we try everything else before we do the, the old Ma Bell thing that broke up the phone companies. But it's more than just, you know, lack of consumer choice. They are controlling our speech. I mean, the, the Soviet Union would dream of the power that Twitter has right now. They didn't have any of that power when they probed the newspapers back in you know back when they when the USSR was around. They didn't have a, a scintilla of the power that these these media companies have online, where everybody gets all their information. So it's far, far, far more dangerous than than the Soviet Union's Pravda newspaper, you know, back in the, the the Soviet days. And so we have to. And the fact that they're aligning themselves up with the left, they they're, they're, it makes sense that they want control over people, and they're aligning themselves up with the radical left. And they're, they're shutting down free speech, especially of conservatives. This would be, I, I, I'm just disappointed Trump couldn't have dealt with it sooner. Because, well, we had all three, three branches of government back in, uh, two, up to 2018. That should have been dealt with then. And I'm disappointed it wasn't. So, yes, I'm, I'm for it. Well, do you think there should be legislation maybe instituted? Because these are, quote, public platforms that's supposed to be open to everyone. And yet they choose, they censor whatever you put up there. They, they read it. They have these bots that read it. And if it has certain words in it, you're going to be yanked. So if you say chloroquine works, that is a falsehood according to them, and your post is yanked. Should there be where it should be equal on, on both sides? Uh, yes, yes. And it doesn't, they don't even need to talk about both sides in the sense that they shouldn't be limiting free speech at all. As long as you're not threatening somebody you know i understand I'm, I'm all for free speech like you know every good real american is but if you go to a theater and yell fire um then you call people get hurt right um 
you look at the, the riots, they're, they're actually causing fire, but that's considered acceptable as free speech because the left lies about it being peaceful when it's not. Um, but but there's, they should not be able to, they, they should certainly not have the protection of uh, what, what section is, is it section 230 or so? What was that section that they want to, they want they, that, that Trump was talking about? And it's, it's, it's making them liable for, uh, for anything they do that's said in their platform. So if you, if, if you're a newspaper or a traditional media company and you, you lie and slander somebody and, and, and you, you can be sued for it, but not these social media platforms because they say that they don't control the content, but they do, they do control the content. So they should be liable for it. It's just crazy that they're getting away with this. So first off, um, they should be liable for their content. If they do any editorial, uh, make any editorial decisions, which they do, they control the content, they're liable for all of it. That would put them out. The lawsuits would fly so fast they'd be out of business in, in a day. So that's the first thing that would put them out of business right away. And I'd, I'd be for that, to be honest. Um, and the second thing is they, they, they either that that and or breaking them up somehow, and, and and then enforcing the First Amendment on them. They're not allowed to, to, to stifle free speech online any more than they can stifle it in, in the public square because it's the same thing today. Well, John Paul, I want to thank you for joining. I've got my next guest up in the bullpen, and you're welcome back anytime. So just have your gal give me a call. We'll get you back up and get you as much support as possible because we need good conservative voices out there. People can find you at John Paul Moran, M-O-R-A-N, JohnPaulMoran.com. And God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Thank you so much, and thank your audience, and we'll win this together. Just please come out of that American closet and and be loud and proud. Don't Don't be shy. (laughs) <laughs> we have to save our country. Okay? Amen. Okay. Thank you Take so much. Care. Take care. Amen. Bye. All right. Check, check out his website, com. want to welcome uh, from the state of Florida, Putnam County Commissioner for District 5, Buddy Goddard. Good afternoon, Buddy. How are you doing? Buddy, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Uh... Area code 917, you're on the air. It looks like we don't have a good connection here. Because I can hear someone on the other end and they don't hear me. Uh, If you can, just try to call back in because we're not hearing you at all. All right. Anyway, I'm on my own now. (laughs) Mike Hill left. I'm all by myself. Anyway, um... I don't know about you guys, but if your county or municipality or whatever you're in has a mandatory um, COVID mask uh, resolution or law that they put into place, I want to let you know that I put together a little four-page pamphlet um, warning. It states, failure to allow my admittance to your establishment will place you personally and this business in violation of the HIPAA Act and the Americans with Disability Act and subsequent and subject to subsequent lawsuits and fines, which I already handed out to one person. So if you're interested in it and contact me through my website, I'd be happy to send you a copy that you can print out and carry with you. Let's try this one more time and see if we can get our person here. I'm getting some background noise, so if you're on a speakerphone, can you put the phone directly to your ear or mouthpiece? Uh, this is Airy Code 917. You're on the air live. Is this Buddy Goddard? Uh, no, this is George Santos here in New York City running for Congress in the third. Ah, hi, George. All right, so we lost one guest. That's all right. We're happy to have you here with us. Um, 
you are running New York 3rd District, and as you know, I'm a former New Yorker. Westbury, yes, Farmingdale, Brentwood, and the last place we lived in was Northport. So I would have been probably in your district at one point or other. Um, I, I got your email from uh, Christine, and I, I just I, I nearly hit the floor because I heard Governor Cuomo was going to put a quash on the 9-11 celebration that happens at Ground Zero ever since 2002. Uh, he's allowing the protests to go on in New York City and elsewhere. That's okay. People rampaging and destroying property and most of them not wearing masks, but you can't honor the fallen dead from 9-11. Does this make any sense to you? Well, absolutely not. I mean, um, and as my as myself and my press team, my press secretary, Janet, um, Maderick, who is a, a wife of an NYPD officer, um, she, she, you know, we're, I'm sorry, let me recollect my thoughts. The <laughs> moment that I heard, <laughs> the moment that I heard that Governor Cuomo took it upon himself to allow the MTV Music Video Awards in Madison Square Garden, which is an enclosed uh, dome, right, it's an arena, uh, to take place. And he has been silent completely on all of these riots and this anarchy and Marxist movement that is Black Lives Matter to take over the city by the thousands as they destroy our city and all across the country. And he has no issues. Now, when it comes to being in a public open space, mourning the loss of over 2,000 people, he thinks that it's a health risk so people can social distance in in madison square garden but they can't social distance to his liking at the 9-11 memorial you know to me the way i look at this anna is that this is simply a marxist socialist takeover to delete the history of 9-11 they want us to forget what transpired on that september 11 morning of 2001 I was 13 years old, and I remember. And so long as I live, I will remind and educate people. Now, for him and these left-wing socialists to try to bar a ceremony of mourning of the lives of heroes, fallen heroes who ran into that burning building, is just un-American. It's purely un-American. And it scares me that this is the direction that our elected officials are going in, in 2020. You know, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking to know that he's doing this. And even today, we still have those heroes continuing to die because of the cancers and other illnesses they contracted doing the rescue and recovery work. On that day, September 11th, I had been living already here in South Carolina. I'd been retired. But I lost three people that I knew in NYPD. The last one... Uh, was uh, Sergeant Green, and the last thing I did before I retired was writing him up for a meritorious award. His guys came into my office in the 9-0 precinct presenting the paperwork. He, he was such a kind and humble man. He didn't want to have the award put in, but his guys insisted. And then they marched him in, sat him down, and made him talk with me. And the last thing I did before I retired was being able to get him that award. And then just a mere six later, he would be gone. Uh, five years later, he would be gone.
on 9-11. So, and that, and they, those are the stories that are going to be forgotten if Governor Cuomo has it his way. I can't stand for that. Now, did they turn Ground Zero over to the state, or is it still New York City property? Well, at this point, Governor Cuomo has granted himself executive privileges due to COVID that has really placed him in a throne and a crown on his head, and he can be, might as well be called King Cuomo. That's how bad it's gotten. You ran away from New York. I don't blame you. I'm going to stand here and fight because this man will not destroy this state or city. I was born and raised in Queens. I have a lot of friends who have left New York. They've ran away from the communistic agenda that they're trying to implement here. And I don't blame them. There's beautiful places and states in this country that uphold American values. But I want to stay and fight. I want to be a voice for the people. I want to remind Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, that they're not going to get away with this, at least not without a good fight and a good ear mouth, earful. Well, now, my voice hasn't been quieted. You know, I left for various reasons, one of them being that with the arthritis I got, I couldn't take the cold weather anymore. But then again, the taxes were starting to rise. So part of it was health uh, concerns. Uh, But I still have a strong voice for for anyone in blue, Uh, any law enforcement office, first responder, military person, veteran, and just an unhyphenated American. So I, I haven't been quieted, so don't worry about that, which is why I reached out to your office and got you here on the show, because we need more conservatives in office in New York State to take the state back. The area that you would represent in District 3 at one time was very red, and now it, it has changed. When I listen to people that live out in Suffolk and Nassau County and I hear how liberal they've become, I go, that's not the New York I grew up in. What happened? Oh, Anna, here's, here's what's going on. Um, this district historically stayed within the island. I'm from Queens. I'm in this district by casualty of them gerrymandering it, as we all know, to, keep, to, to, to turn it blue. And it worked because it pulls in northeast Queens, where I reside. Uh, historically, it was a very conservative part of Queens. It still is somewhat, but unfortunately, they keep gentrifying the neighborhoods, Whitestone, Bayside, uh, Little Neck. Unfortunately, there's just nothing we can do to stop the gentrification, right? Every time we try to put up a fight, they just, they win. We're a minority here, so we need to really fight hard and still expect loss. But with NY3, Congressman Swazi sitting on that seat, a do-nothing politician that collects a $174,000 paycheck a year on the taxpayer back had the audacity to vote via proxy during the pandemic. He didn't feel like he was needed to go represent our interest. That's the kind of issue that I can't understand. This is a man that's been in, the pu- in public service for over 26 years, and he is yet to step out and defend the police officers. You would have been so proud if you were here last Saturday. We had a turnout of over 3,000 people at Eisenhower Park, and it was beautiful, beautiful. People supporting the blue, backing the blue, supporting the police should have never become a political weapon. It is common sense, and it's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about public safety. It's about law and order. 
It's about keeping us safe. Yes. So the simple fact that my opponent refuses to embrace and respect the NYPD is a jab at the men and women who protect him and do his detail when he's running around the district doing his photo ops. Well, I, I know the area you're talking about very well. Uh, I still have some family on Long Island. I had a business on Post Avenue in Westbury. Uh, for a number of years. Uh, Eisenhower Park, for people that aren't aware, is a large uh, county park run by Nassau County that borders on Westbury, East Meadow, uh, Garden City. It's a beautiful, beautiful park. Uh, Last I remember, I'm assuming they still maintain it as well as they used to. But to have 3,000 people gather in that area, uh, man, that is absolutely awesome. Were you down by the amphitheater? So, no, actually, we were just in the middle of the field. We, we took up several fields in the middle of the park. And social distancing practices, everybody did all the protocols because, God forbid, we don't, you know, we'll, we'll be called uh, unkind and uncaring, selfish people who don't care about elderly. And, and, and you know how that goes, that narrative that the liberals will easily twist just because we're there to support our men and women in blue. Uh, funny enough, you say Post Avenue. I was just on Post Avenue today at Republican headquarters, which is in Westbury on Post Avenue. So uh, I, I wasn't aware that you, you were familiar with the area that well. Oh, yeah. I was married in St. Bridget's Church to my first husband, and he was uh, stationed at the base in Garden City, right across from right next to wow. was it Newsday. Yeah. Right down the street from Garden City Bowl, where I used to work, or as well as Westbury Bowl. So yes, that's my haunting grounds. <laughs> Class of '76. <laughs> hey. Wow, that's amazing. Um, you Small know, world. This is a district that it is. It, it genuinely is. This is a district where, for the first time in its history, had somebody who's fighting for it. And I'm not trying to discount all the candidates who have run for the seat. But they've never seen somebody that's fighting as hard as I am. I am fighting because I truly believe that the American dream is alive because I'm, an, I'm a pure example that it's alive. I'm a first-generation-born American to two immigrant parents who migrated to this country legally, who worked blue-collar jobs all their lives, gave their son and their daughter, my younger sister, the capability of being bigger and better people than they were by investing every diamond ounce of their life into us. Today, I stand very proud with the bachelor's and master's degree, all New York educated, Baruch College and NYU for my MBA. I have served in several executive boards in, in, in big international, multinational firms Wall, uh, in Wall Street, such as Goldman Sachs, uh, Morgan Stanley, um, Harbor City Capital, Linkbridge Investors. I've worked with several different nations and, and companies abroad. I understand international relations. I understand finance. And I'm able to manage money very well. And that's what New York 3 needs, is somebody who has all that knowledge and that is able to take the private sector work and apply it to politics, not build yourself a political career, and then try to make money off of it in the private sector. I did it the proper way. I built myself professionally, and now I want to apply my success into the community, into the district. Well, 
I'm loving everything I'm hearing because if I had still lived there, you would have gotten my vote. That is for sure. You know, I, I was talking to Janet before coming on the air, so she gave me the lowdown, you know, about everything that's going on over there. Um, but the one thing I neglected to do because she talked to me just as I was getting my equipment up is where can they find your website? It's georgefornewyork.com, correct? George4ny.com, and that's F-O-R-N-Y. And on there, you'll get my entire agenda, my, my platform, what I stand for, pro-veteran, you know, uh, pro-American, American first candidate here who just thinks in the best interest of the community. Ultimately, if anybody can go on there, as you know very well, Anna, I'll, I'll make the call myself. Any help goes a long way. We're looking for volunteers every day. The bigger the army, the wider we spread the message. Well, you know, I had a previous guest, John Paul Moran, who's running out of uh, for Massachusetts District 6. Uh, and like you, uh, he's running on the conservative platform. But also like you, he's come out as openly gay. It, people don't understand if you are gay, it does not mean that you are a liberal. You may have good family values, good conservative principles, and your voice should be equally heard. But you're not being heard because mainstream media doesn't think people like you actually exist. Actually, I say, you know, this is something I, I, don't, I don't make my campaign about my personal life. But to, to be very honest, what I do with my personal life and my romantic life and whatever happens in my home really doesn't affect my values and my morals. I believe in the family unit. I believe that Joe Biden is chronically responsible for dismantling the family unit in America and creating the largest level of poverty amongst the African-American community. So, yes, when he goes and says that if you don't... If, if you're voting for Trump, you ain't black. No, you vote for Trump because he's going to put you in jail. That's what he does best. That's what he did in his, in his entire congressional uh, career. That's what he did in his entire Senate career. So being a gay man does not definitely at all suggest that I am a liberal. I am the furthest thing from a liberal. I think liberalism is a disease and it needs treatment and it should be diagnosed as such. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, unfortunately, it, it, we, we can't do that. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time with you. It's only about 15 minutes, so I apologize for you know, not giving more. So we will have you back on the show. I wanted to get out there so that the public can know that Andrew Cuomo is going to prevent the 9-11 memorial being held, which I think is an utter disgrace. It is a slap in the face of every single first responder that worked there in the rescue and recovery, but it's also a slap in the face of every innocent person that died that day because of terrorists. I'm going to say one thing, Anna. If he so attempts to do this, he's going to have to arrest a lot of people because I will be there. As I know, many people will be there. He will not stop us. There's not a chance in hell that we're going to let him get away with this. I will be there to support those fallen heroes as I have been ever since it started. I will not stop. I will go and support the people. I am not going to let this be about Andrew Cuomo's Marxist socialist agenda. It's going to happen. Whether he arrests every single law-abiding citizen there 
exercising their First Amendment right and honoring and mourning the loss of their loved ones or of those brave men and women or even of the people who were just plain victims of the airplanes and of the building. I will be there, and I want to see him order those arrests. I'd like to see, you know, if any law enforcement officer would actually try to affect their arrest because you know, it's their brethren that you're honoring. So I, I, I honestly cannot see anyone, whether it's Port Authority, uh, NYPD, or state trooper, I don't see anyone stepping forward to honestly do that because I know if I was still there, I wouldn't be doing that. Well, you know, I saw a lot of the a lot of the first responders and then the officers with the shutdown, they were forced to do as Cuomo said, or they were threatened all sorts of suspensions and all sorts of atrocious, atrocious uh, um, um, threats. De Blasio ordered them and they were held pretty much at gunpoint. It's either their livelihood or they obey the law, or they follow the law that they swore an oath to. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, these men and women have mouths to feed and they have bills to pay. Absolutely. But there was orders to arrest people that were assembly protest, assembling peacefully, protesting the shutdown. Plenty of orders, plenty of people arrested. I had uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine who ended up getting arrested just because he had a sign and he wouldn't walk away from standing in, in front of, on a sidewalk in front of, the, of City Hall. So, yeah, unfortunately it did transpire. And the media isn't out there to report this. Only people like you let us know what's going on out there. But this is the problem. Our free speech is being uh, impinged upon. Our, our freedom of religion, because didn't de Blasio say that he would permanently shutter any church that opened? Yes, and whatever happened to the state, she'll never step on the church. The First Amendment, that the government, Congress, cannot establish any religion nor prohibit the free expression thereof. People seem to forget about that last part of the First Amendment. Isn't that... Isn't that one of the very first reasons we succeeded from England for religious persecution? Absolutely. Isn't that exactly why we fought for independence? Isn't that why this country is based on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Absolutely. That is exactly why. I can't, I can't believe that George Washington's and Abraham Lincoln's country has come to this. I just can't believe but it has, unfortunately, and that's why we need people like you out there. Now, uh, as I'm waiting for my next guest to call in, give you a few extra minutes, what do you think on your platform is the most important air thing for your district? What would be the first thing you would start to fight for? Public safety, supporting our police. Bail reform in New York State and nationally has to be, that has to be abolished. I, we have to work with local leadership as a congressman to make sure that that's that, that goes away. Criminals are now just pretty much getting slapped on the wrist and saying, hey, don't do it again, and they get let go the next morning. They're arraigned and they let, get let go if it's a nonviolent crime. And even on violent crimes, they're, they're let go the next morning. So long story short is we need law and order. We need public safety. We need bail reform to be undone, and we need to put people back in jail. Rikers Island was vacated with the excuses of 
social uh, of I'm sorry of social worker working uh, uh, experiments, and then COVID happened, all too convenient, and they evacuated an entire facility and let people loose. Crimes on the rise. The police are defunded. The police are are uh, villainized. How is anybody expected to want to be in this state, let alone in this city or downstate, New York City or Long Island? There's no reason to be here anymore. So I need to, the first 100 days in office, I will in, immediately start to, to, to draft legislation and seek partnerships with as many people in, as possible in Congress to put, establish a law and order agenda for the entire country. This country needs to understand it is very easy to stay out of trouble. In order to not interact with the police, the bar is set as low as do not break the law. Live lawfully and you will never have to deal with a police officer in your life. It's very simple. The bar is as low as it can get. All right. Now you've got law and order established. Uh, what would be the next thing? Would it be jobs? Uh, what would it be? Jobs and the economy come in second because we can't do jobs in the economy without public safety. So we would definitely start by kickstarting this economy back to work. We should have never shut down this country. Multiple countries in, in the world did not shut down, did not affect their economy, and they did just fine. I think that we have a lot of fabricated numbers going on just to hurt the economy because we all know that's the only way they can hurt President Donald Trump. And I'm not sitting here on a podium screaming to the top of my lung, uh, you know, President Trump is the best thing uh, since, you know, canned tuna. He's a great guy, great president. He makes mistakes. He's human. But his economy was undoubtedly the best economy in the history of this country. And we need to go back there. And I have the experience to go back there. I know how to motivate corporations into rehiring people, into getting people back into work, into expanding their businesses. And aside from jobs in the economy, the other thing that's a very pressing issue in this country is veteran homelessness and suicide. The words veteran and homeless should never be placed in the same sentence. It is unacceptable, unexcusable that we allow those two words to go in the same sentence. The VA needs severe reform, and it needs severe updating so that veterans have access to all the medical benefits they need, to all the, 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 the social needs they need, because this country owes its freedom to their ultimate sacrifices, to them having all these health issues, PTSD. We, we are obliged, under God and under the Constitution of the United States, to take care of these men and women when they come back from combat. Well, George, um, I'm going to have to have you come back on and give you more time. That way I can go over your platform, get your voice out there even more. So have Janet give me a shout Thank again, you. and we'll get you s- scheduled back on. People can find you again where? George4NY.com. Well, good luck and God bless or you. Or on the- social media. <laughs> on social media, I'm Santos4, number 4NY. Or for Congress. You'll find me on both. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. God bless you for the hard work you do. Check it out, George Sanders. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's bring in our final victim of the day. I want to welcome back onto the show 
Mike Gonzalez. Good afternoon, Mike, with Heritage Foundation. How are you today? Hi, Annie. Great to be back with you. Yeah, now let me just get my notes all put together here. Um, you've got a new book out. Uh, it's called The Plot to Change America, How Identity Politics is Dividing the Land of the Free. And, oh, boy, are we seeing that left and right? This is crazy. It's up on Amazon, and it just came out just three days ago. And you got to get me a copy. <laughs> <laughs> you, haven't had, you haven't gotten a copy? I haven't gotten a copy. No. I'll get to my communications people. <laughs> so I, would, I wouldn't say you see it mostly left and right. I think you, you see it mostly left. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I meant, you know, all over the place. We see it you, you, wherever you turn. I know, I know. You, you see identity politics. And matter of fact, I had mentioned that a friend of mine had just recently passed away, and he labeled himself the unhyphenated American. And it used to be we were known as a melting pot. Instead, we've become a nation of a tossed salad. Or a melting pot, everything stays good no matter what happens. A tossed salad, after three days, it's it's rotten. Um, that was my friend Lloyd Marcus that just recently passed away. When did we stop being a melting pot? That's that's very good, by the way, what you said about the salad. I had never heard that. I think the salad analogy was uh, Canada came up with that. Um, you know, we stopped being that. Uh, there were several steps that were taken. Uh, this is not a uh, this is not a, a grassroots thing. This is an, an elite project. Uh, the um, the activists, really, one of the first people that were that they said that their eyes upon were Mexican Americans Southwest. They wanted to make them into a voting block, and I go into in my book uh, the plot to change America, uh, and then uh, and then later on that was enlarged into uh, the uh, into the, the Hispanic. Uh, pan-ethnic group, which was created by office of, the Office of Management and Budget, the, the, the Mexican-American activists and the people who, who, who were behind this wanted to have coast-to-coast power, uh, so they wanted to bring in also uh, Puerto Rican residents of the Northeast mostly and Cuban-American emigres in Florida, so they create this pan-ethnic thing called Hispanics, uh, and then they, you know, and it, and it was, it was really the activists who were demanding this. Uh, the, 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 the bureaucracy caved finally, and as I said, OMB created in '77 and put it on the census in 1980. And they, 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 since then, we just had a have had an avalanche of, of, of groups. Uh, so identity politics, as I describe it as, as as the division of the country into groups that are based on on, on anything uh, on race, ethnicity sex, sexual orientation, disability status. But the important thing, Annie, is, is, is that it, these, what's overlaying this is a claim on victimhood. Um, uh, anything that allows members of the groups to say, well, I derive my, 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 my right to your attention, to your respect, to, to compensatory justice and rewards, because of my degree of victimhood, and that is very troublesome for society because nope, it, it, it just gives zero incentive to solve anything. If, if you get everything because of your degree of victimhood, you have zero incentive to solve any problems. You know, that's a huge important point because the more you are the victim, the more you're going to become dependent 
upon that political or elected official that is giving you the handout. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, and that is one of the things. I mean, I uh, the, the one of the, the points I make in my book, the, the plot to change America, is that the people who introduce these notions, uh, what they want to do is is get us away from the model that America has had, the 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 the, 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 the liberal model, meaning in terms of, of liberal democracy, and into more of a central planning collectivist uh, view. Uh, you know, they, they, they believed Herbert, Herbert, Herbert Marcuse, one of the gurus uh, of this in the 60s and 70s, you know, he had, a, like many Marxists, believed that, that central planning was superior to, to freedom. Uh, so they wanted to introduce this. So, yes, you're right. This is what's behind uh, the, the, the rush to, to create groups. And if you create the groups, then you create the dependency. So... This politician will pander to the Hispanics. Uh, this politician will turn around. The same politician will turn around to the Asians or to the Native Americans. And you, you pit them against each other, but yet they make them dependent upon you. And it, it's something that the Marxists have done very well. And they've now imported it here. And they think we're too stupid to recognize what they're doing. Asian Americans is another prime example. You know, they, they, it really is a huge uh, umbrella group that brings in Americans with origins in China or Korea or the Philippines or India or Pakistan. Or, or you know, really, I mean, this is a huge. It's, it's even it makes even less sense than Hispanics. Uh, and yet, and now, uh, you know, we're having a we're, we're now these. These chickens are coming home to roost because this, this, the government is seriously considering prioritizing, for example, Hispanics for a COVID-19 vaccine, except, as David Bernstein argued in the Yale Journal of Regulation yesterday, the data that the, 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 the FDA and the NIH went along with the OMB uh, classifications with the categories and collected data that way, but that data is no good for science or medicine because Hispanics can be 100% European, or they can be 100% of African descent, or they can be 100% indigenous, or a mix thereof, so that a data on Hispanic, quote-unquote, tells you nothing medically. You understand? And so, yeah. so, so, you know, we have, and, and, and even, uh, as I write many times, electorally, they said the Hispanic Latino vote. No, there is no Hispanic vote. I, I would say there's not even a Puerto Rican vote. The Puerto Ricans in the Northeast, in, in, in cities like New York, in, in Philadelphia, and Hartford, would vote very differently than Puerto Rican residents of Central Florida, and, 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 and Mexican uh, Mexican Americans in the Rio Grande Valley will have substantial differences with Mexican Americans in California. Uh, so, and, and, and you see this also with Cuban Americans in Florida and New Jersey. New Jersey. Cuban Americans, which is a dwindling community, but still, uh, they tend to be more Democratic voting. Cuban Americans in Florida, obviously, much more Republican and conservative. So uh, there's no Latino vote, the same way there's no Latino cuisine or music. And yet we, we, we continue to, 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 to repeat these absurdities. 
you know, it's funny because I think back to several different friends I've known over the years. And heaven forbid, don't you ever mix up a Puerto Rican with a Cuban. <laughs> it's, it, it's like oil and water. So they throw everyone into this one lump instead of saying, hey, listen, yes, we recognize your individuality, your multiculturalism. However, this is the United States of America. We assimilate. We follow the American principles, the founding principles, the Constitution, the rule of law, and everyone is equal in the eyes of the law. You know, as Martin Luther King says, content of character, not color of skin. And yet the left continues to rip us apart by forcing what they assume is your identity upon you, making the victim. And then they create another class of victims by shaming someone else for not recognizing the multiculturalism. So we're seeing now these Antifa BLM riots and who's on the front line doing the rioting, but privileged white kids because they've created this other victim. Yeah, How you know, dare uh, you? The white privilege. It, it, this is very, these are very good points. I, when I sat down to write my book, the plot to change America last year, I finished it in November. Little did I know that we were going to have the summer of 2020 where the consequences of identity politics are playing every day for us to see. Not that CNN will ever put it on, because God knows nothing's happening in Portland. Um, you know, so my book now is that which come out on Tuesday. It's selling very well. I'm, I'm very happy that my ideas are getting out, but I'm not happy as to the reason why. Uh, but you know, again, we, what I do with my book is I explain who did it. Why did these activists? push so much to create a Hispanic category and push the, the, the government to recognize and, and officialize a Hispanic category. Why, why is, why, why is, what was there a need? Why is there a need to have a, a, a ch changing the American narrative, which the left would call the hegemonic narrative with a counter narrative? Why, why are we doing these things? So I try to explain it. So it, it, because a lot of people believe in myths, for example, they believe that this is that it was it, this was a bottoms up call for this. No, it was not. It was done in in Washington D.C. offices, in neon lit, with people we, we're wearing suits. Yeah, you, know, you make a lot of great points uh, in your your um, editorial uncovering the origins of identity politics, uh, with your key takeaways on this. Um, because you mentioned that, you know, we have become so accustomed to seeing this stuff. We've been bludgeoned over the head so much with it that sometimes it passes us by and we barely even give it a look. We recognize it, but we, we don't right. touch it. it. Right. Go ahead, Mike. Right. And that lack of knowledge is what helps identity politics take on. Because people, people are fair-minded, Right. They say, oh, yeah, this is just a, a, a cry for restitution by people who have been victimized. But first of all, no, none of that is true. No aspect of that is true. Yes, it is true that Mexican-Americans, you know, were discriminated against in Texas, but they never faced the, 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 the real legal hardship that black Americans faced, for example. But the black American case is a unique Story. You know what, Annie? I don't have a chapter on Black Americans in my book. Because what I say in the introduction is, this is this is a real unique experience, and we should honor it as that. 
my beef is with the people who came along then in the 70s after the Civil Rights Act and said, oh, hang on, no, the, the, our situation is analogous. The, the, the argument was even made for women, that the situation for women was analogous to that of African Americans. Uh, the same thing with Hispanics, the same thing with Asians. And no, no. I mean, look, immigration is hard everywhere. Immigrants have always had it tough, especially in the first generation. The Irish had it very, very tough. The Scots-Irish had it very, very tough in the 1700s. The Germans had it extremely touch, that tough in, in, in the mid-19th century. But that doesn't mean that, you, that it's an analogy between the German-American experience and African-Americans. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely, because I'm only second-generation American, and my grandfather one day took me into his local barbershop, pointed to a sign up on the wall, and he said, that is what I faced. With the sign on the wall said, WAPs need not apply. I had my other grandfather, wow. was in a, his father came over from Germany, dumped him into a, an orphanage, and he ended up changing his name because World War I broke out, and they were burning dockshounds in the middle of the street. So he changed the last name from its German to its English translation, just so he and his brother would not be murdered. So I understand that. You know, my right. family history has done that. Right. Had it as bad as slavery? No, not at all. But I'm exactly. not asking for reparations, and neither did they. But we knew what the problem was, exactly. and we worked you know, to solve it. Right. There were like 17,000 people who were prosecuted for speaking German in the street, which was illegal in many states. You know, I, I, you know look, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I tell you, yeah, you know, I've, been, I've, faced, I've faced, you know, challenges. But again, again, I, I cannot analogize my situation to that of African Americans, uh, nor would I ever. And I can't. I don't believe America owes me a debt. On the contrary, I owe America a debt for letting me in and letting my family in, allowing us to come to free. The, the whole thing is absurd, Annie. See, the beauty of about America, the America that you that I grew up in, the America that you are embracing, is that we recognize the difficulties we have come through, and we work every day to improve it. And there's no need to turn around and continually apologize for something that neither you or I had anything involved with. It's what I do here today with my life I take responsibility for. What happened before I was born, I have nothing to do with that. But I am responsible for here and now. So asking me for reparations for something I had nothing to do with, that's an injustice. Yeah, the, and the problem with that is it, 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 it really, it, it, we, we stop dealing with the real problems. Why, are, why, why is there a, an achievement gap in education? There's a real achievement gap in education. We should deal with it. We should look at the root causes of it and try to, try to deal with it. Um, really want people to read my book. because I, The people who are going to tell me, they have a lot of aha moments. They finally begin to understand why something works this way and something works another and why we have these groups and we have all these things and, and why we have, we have racial preferences, we have set aside, why all these things happen. And I, put, I try to explain it so people, so to create a climate of understanding so then people will say, no, because I actually do think, Annie, that identity politics will end up 
if, if, if we don't stop it, we will lose our liberties. We will lose free speech, for example, because we already see speech codes and, 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 and cancel culture. And it all goes back again to Herbert Marcuse, who writes, uh, not just him, but his, his case is very telling. He writes in 1965 an essay called Repressive Tolerance, in which he says, comes right out and say, we have to have tolerance of, 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 of leftist ideas, but any conservative idea we have to stomp on, we have to make it illegal and not allow the speaker to, to say it. We, we've so this is that, where you, we, we've seen that implemented today. Yeah, we've seen it coming upon us for the last decade, you know, by banning free speech on campus, by having safe zones. Uh, how dare you? You, you? you are triggering me because you're wearing the American flag and you discuss cancel culture. Cancel culture is literally ruining people's lives. They lose their jobs. They, they, it gets so bad the family breaks up because of cancel culture. And that's got to stop. I mean, I will defend your yeah, right and, and to say whatever are... it is, how stupid it is, because you have free speech. But do not prohibit me. And, and, and people are self-centering, and which is what they want. They, it's, it's the fear it's the threat of violence and threat of canceling your life that at the end of the day, people will just stop, you know, they will, people want to have nice lives. They don't want to be criticized. They don't want to lose their livelihood. So they, they'll stop saying things. And that's, that's what, that's what the left really wants. Yeah. Well, we've seen it so far as one gentleman lost his life because all he did was carry a Trump sign. We see people assaulted for wearing a red hat, not much, not even just a MAGA hat, just a red hat that triggered. We got people, many of us, afraid to even put a Trump sign or any sort of a conservative sign on your vehicle because you're afraid their vehicle will be trashed. We're seeing this over and over again. But I think a lot of this also has to do not just with the cancel culture and politicians wanting the power, but we are now involved in our smart devices, and we forget how to have simple human interaction with our friends and neighbors. We've got kids today that simply don't have friends, no physical friend. They have someone online they talk to. So our society is seeing this being attacked in so many different directions. Yeah, and, and, and that is, again, why I wrote my book. And I'm so happy that you have me on to speak about this because, I, as I said, I tried to walk the reader, how the group, how, how, first I, the first path is how the groups were created, why they were created. And then the second half is what was the intellectual reason, what, what were the theories that fed into this, and also why it's important that we do something about it. And I go on, I talk about, you know, our freedom of speech, our right to property, uh, right to assembly, all these things eventually eroding and being taken away from us unless we do something about it. Yeah, and that's that's the whole thing. The cancel culture, the loss of freedom of speech, and heaven forbid you mention God or your, your Christian faith, uh, you're triggered. You know, it's gotten so bad now, even in England, if you mentioned something in, in reference to God and being the Savior, way to heaven is through Jesus, you're arrested. So England... The, the birthplace of English common law, the Magna Carta, that gave us the basis to write our Declaration of Independence and Constitution has now lost everything that we as Americans fought to maintain. Yeah, Europe is, is much further along uh, than us on this. Uh, but then again, we, we, you know, we have 
we have the Bill of Rights, right? We have the First Amendment. We have things. We have defenses against this that Europe doesn't have, doesn't have. So let's let's make sure that our, let's make sure that that our First Amendment and the entire Bill of Rights continue to protect us. Yes, and now you have um, the California State University having a mandate for ethnic social justice studies driven by the hatred for America. The entire California State University system announced last week on Thursday that it was making the ethic and social justice studies mandatory for anyone who wants a degree. So you're not even allowed to even choose what course you have in order to graduate. This is what we've come down to now. Yeah, I I wrote an article about that. That is, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember Angela Davis. Oh, yes. Uh, She was a a Black Panther leader and a member of the Communist Party of the USA. She's now very, you know, very acclaimed. She's, you know, obviously she she was was out of prison in 1972. uh, But now she's a professor emeritus in California. She goes across the country and speaks to packed audiences and races her fist and says, I'm now and I have always been a communist. And she had something to say about this. She said, you know, black studies are the intellectual arm of the revolution. So she made it very clear that all these ethnic studies are just what I'm talking about in my book, The Plot to Change America, a way to change the narrative, the hegemonic narrative, if you want to use the, the Marxist term, but the American story with the counter narrative. That is, that, that, that America is a horrible place, uh, institutionally, structurally, and systemically racist. Uh, never mind that there's a very long line of people out the door waiting to get in, and, and, and nobody, there's no really no line of people waiting to get out. But uh, that is a sad story, and I, I, ethnic studies, unfortunately, especially when they're compulsory, is just a way to do that, a way to, to, to further the, the victimhood narrative I was referring to earlier. Oh, absolutely. Mike, people can find you at heritage.org, the Heritage Foundation. Uh, and uh, the book they can find, it's up on Encounter Books as well as Amazon. It's called The Plot to Change America, How Identity Politics is Dividing the Land of the Free. And I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you. I'm going to have an event with Michael Knowles of uh, Daily Wire on Tuesday at 11.15. People can come to heritage.org. Sign up for the event, uh, the Plot to Change America, 11, uh, 15 on Tuesday, August 4th. Yeah, and Michael Knoll has, also has a fantastic book out there, Reasons to Vote for Democrats. <laughs> I sent a copy to someone once, and about two weeks later, I, I asked him if he enjoyed reading the book. He goes, uh, I just started it. And I said, no, pick up the book and open it up, <laughs> and the pages are blank. <laughs> a great book. Well, yeah. <laughs> He just uh, he's 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 working on a book on identity politics. I was talking to him today, so I hope to have, hope to be able to help him. Oh, great! Then tell him to send me a copy, and we'll have him back on the show too. Mike Gonzalez, it's always fun to great. have you on, and I welcome you back anytime. Oh, anytime! Thank you very much for having me. Have a All great right. weekend, and God bless. All right, Michael Gonzalez, check him out over at heritage dot org. Um, I, that's all we got here for today. Curtis will be back with us um, next 90 Friday, seconds. Uh, which will be August 7th, but we will have a new time. We will be on the air starting from 1 to 3 p.m. because we will be carried the full three hours now on WCET-FM out of Columbus, uh, Columbia, South Carolina here, as well as other, our other platforms, if I can talk straight, Spreaker, 
Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, BTR, and everywhere else that we're carried. So I want to thank everyone seconds. that uh, joined with us. And we will be, be the, 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 geez, I told you, I can't even talk today. <laughs> we will be back uh, next week. And hopefully we'll have the kinks worked out. I'm going to be working with Doug on that so we get WTECFM running up smoothly. So I hope you will be joining with us. Again, I remind you, if anyone is interested in this four-page pamphlet I put together, uh, a warning about the HIPAA Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act violations because of mandatory uh, face masks. Uh, I will be happy to send you a copy of it. It'll be in PDF form. Just email me through uh, the Southern Sense website. That's Southern with a dash in the middle sense, southern-sense.com. So until then, I say good night and God and bless. And seconds. <laughs>